internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, it's time for the big one. Ten years and 18 movies in the making, the Marvel Cinematic Universe comes to a head with Avengers Infinity War. Let's get started. I hope they remember you. Peter, by the way. Doctor Strange. Oh, you're using your made-up names. Then I am Spider-Man. So I'm going to split this up into two parts, obviously, because this is, number one, the main release of the weekend, so I need to allow for more of the review to happen before getting into the discussion. And number two, because there's a lot I want to talk about that only goes into spoiler territory. So for right now, this is going to be the non-spoiler review. You'll hear the spoiler alert coming up. And you can skip ahead if you haven't already seen it or you don't want any spoilers or whatever. You can skip ahead to the discussion portion. There won't be any spoilers in that end. Um, so for right now, Avengers Infinity War. Was it worth it? Personally, I think so. I think the Russo brothers uh, and the... Um, it's... Um, who is it? What are, the, what are the guys' names? I just brought them up. Uh, they're, they're the same guys who wrote the other Captain America movies. Here it is. Uh, Chris Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Uh, these guys have been working with Marvel since phase one. Like I said, they did the first Captain America film, The Winter Soldier and Civil War. They wrote Thor The Dark World. And they also and so and they also wrote this along with the Russo and and so they've kind of been working alongside the Russo brothers for the most part. But these guys have also um w- these guys were also the creators of Agent Carter. Uh they wrote for the Chronicles of Narnia series for Disney. Their first thing was a TV miniseries about Peter Sellers. Uh, which I, I I still need to see that one. The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, uh, starring Jeffrey Rush as Peter Sellers. And then it features like Charlize Theron, Stephen Fry, Stanley Tucci, John Lithgow. I, I, I've seen this one a, bun- a lot. when I, I saw it a lot when I worked at a Hollywood Video back in the day. But uh, yeah, this is... Um, yeah, these guys are... These guys are pretty much part and parcel with the MCU. And they, I think before them, the Russo brothers and Mick Marcus, uh, they did a good job. What would it be Mark, Fe- Mark Feely? How do you refer to these, to this writing duo? Um, I guess just, I know it's Lord and Miller, so it might as well just be Marcus and McFeely. Um, anyway, the storyline that we've been building up to the, this whole time is based on the comic, uh, based on the comic of the same name. Uh, and there, uh, Thanos is trying to, um, you know, get, trying to impress Death, who is a skeleton that somehow has a female figure? Well, comics are weird, man. Um, but yeah, Thanos intends to destroy the universe in order to impress Death and, you know, get, get her to like him. Maybe this time she'll like me. He's, he's really, he's really desperate in that. 
Um, but here it's more as he's they the way they explain it is he's much more pragmatic. He saw his world die due to overpopulation, and he decided no other world should suffer the way mine did. And his unfortunately, his solution is so far to the extreme that he that that there's no way it could. It could, you know, there's no way anybody would get on board with it. It's kind of like Killmonger in a way, uh, which is a nice little follow-up to Black Panther earlier this year. Um, the idea that the villains aren't wrong, but the way they come, but they've been driven so far to the extreme that there's no way you would side with them. And that's kind of what we have here. In fact, uh, I will say there's a bit of a backlash, kind of, sort of, depending on which circles you're part of. There's some people who don't like the idea that people are agreeing with Thanos or seeing where he's coming from. But I don't think that's the case as much as people are like, no, Thanos has a lot more pathos in this. Thanos is a, you know, character in this. He's a, you know, he's a decently written character with a lot of depth and personality. I think that's what people identified with, not so much that they agreed with him because like plenty of people identified with Killmonger as well doesn't mean they'd be along for the same plan but you identify you see exactly where he's coming from and you see that with Thanos in this and uh so he goes about collecting the infinity stones and um I think I'll leave it at that other than the fact that there's a lot of character interaction but when the Avengers finally start to coalesce to try and stop Thanos and yeah, it's a it's it's a phenomenal. I'm gonna say this right now, my number one favorite of the MCU currently, as of this recording, it is my favorite MCU movie, and um, it it, it I thoroughly I don't know if I can't speak for anybody else, so I can't speak for you if you didn't like the like because that's the thing this takes what civil war did with in terms of like darkness and and consequences and repercussions and and really mature in the sense of like you would not want to take in retrospect you probably should not take like five-year-old kids to see infinity war they probably aren't ready yet but at the same time like it's it's um it, it it really is just a well thought out and builds so much on the last ten years that it 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 as a culmination of what's to come of what's been happening it works so well and the characters are all, the characters are all written pretty much as they were in their solo films you know. I don't think anybody was that out of character that I recall. Like, Peter is still Peter. Um, Tony is obviously still Tony. Uh, Doctor Strange is kind of chilled. Because what, what he used to be, basically, Tony Stark with magic. Now he's a lot. he's come to realize he's got a lot more responsibility than Tony Stark. But he also does not take any of Tony's garbage. Um, the Guardians are, Guardians are a bit more comedic. A bit more buffoonish. But at the same time, that's not that's kind of that's not too out of character for most of them. Like Star Lord's a goofball, and Drax is kind of 
uh, oblivious to a lot of stuff, as is Mantis. And then Rock Rocket's a smartass, and now we've got teenage Groot. So he's got so he's going. So there's a lot of references to whoa, buddy, where'd you learn that kind of language? You know, I'm gonna, you know, and he's like just sitting there playing this um, modified uh, arcade game from like the '80s. So it's basically he's ba- somebody has basically made a handheld out of an arcade cabinet, and that's all he's playing. <laughs> and at the same, and that's like, yeah, 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 pretty much. That's teenage, that's adolescence in a nutshell for a lot of people. <laughs> um, Cap, Cap, and Black Panther are in, are are pretty well in character. Bruce is pretty in character. And, yeah, I, I don't think anybody was out of character from what they've set up, which is good. And, yeah, the storyline is intense and hard. Like, I think the only thing you can really complain about is the children of Thanos, the main uh, lieutenants that they that the Avengers fight this movie, aren't as compelling as their leader. But at the same time, they don't really need to be either. Like, you don't need to know the pathos... Of, um, uh, like, what, what's her name? Uh, Carrie Coon. Uh, by the way, a local, local, um, uh, local actress made good, Carrie Coon, joins local directors made good, Rus- of the Russo brothers. So Northeast Ohio is doing great, uh, on the big screen. Uh, yeah, fun fact. Uh, a fun fact, I lived in the same neighborhood as Carrie Coon, though she was... Four years ahead of me. So by the time she graduated high school, I was just about to start. Same, and she also went to the same uh, university I did, uh, University of Mountain Union. And I first heard about her from Gone Girl. And uh, she was great in that. I'm glad to see she's in a viable, doing a decent job as, as a vi- in a, in a multi-million, almost bi- multi-billion dollar franchise. So that you know, great for her. Um, but yeah, like they don't really say who, the only one you really hear is Ebony Maw, but they only just refer to him as Maw. Uh, he's the only one with some real characterization, some personality. I mean, you've got uh, uh, the the big dumb guy, the Hulk, their version of Hulk, basically with a hammer, uh, Black Dwarf. Uh, what what do they call him in the movie? Cole Obsidian. Yeah, he's not really. He's just ba- he's basically uh, relegated to Bane in Batman and Robin, although not as um, egregious. I don't think I don't know. I'm, I'm not familiar with uh, Black Dwarf in the comics. Carrie Coon is Proxima Midnight, uh, and then you've got uh, Corvus Glaive, who's I think a Dark Elf. I'm not. He he reminds me of how the Dark Elves kind of looked in Thor: The Dark World. But yeah, these guys, this crew is basically just the 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 lieutenants for Thanos. They're not really all that important to the ultimate plot. They're just there to do Thanos's bidding. I can't speak to how well I don't, I can't speak to that in the comics, and I can't speak to that. So I can't speak to that as a translation from the comics. I can I I, I can admit that they're not that well. Uh, I mean, Carrie Coon is probably the only one besides Maw. Uh, Proxima Midnight is the only one besides Maw to have some form of personality. 
Uh, Cole Obsidian is just a brute, and um, Corvus Glaive is kind of like a, a roguish character, but n- never really gets a lot of dialogue or anything. Um, so yeah, it's it's um it it really is uh it, it's probably one of the, they are probably one of the weaker points, but at the same time, this is the Thanos show starring Thanos. They're just the opening act for Thanos, you know. And this is, like, Thanos is the most prominent character in this entire movie. Like, most of the, he's the only, he's really the biggest one with an arc throughout the, throughout, as he get, as he goes about trying to gather the Infinity Stones. And Josh Brolin lends such depth and, and charisma to this character that you see exactly where he's coming from. Once again, you don't necessarily agree with him, but you get his point of view. It's it, it comes across, and even though you're like that's a bunch of BS, get out of here with that. You're you can you know you can tell this is what he believes to be true. This is how he sees the world given his given his history, and uh, yeah, it's. It's uh, he's also just damn powerful. He's he's able to t- he's able to single hand with um with 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 a few of the Infinity Stones. He's able to take down the Hulk, which uh, which it took Tony Stark a, a a massive suit of armor to be even be able to hold off the Hulk. And Thor took the power of the Odin Force to really hold his own to really overpower the Hulk. Thanos is just like I don't care. You know, he is Thanos. You are but the buzzing of flies to him. <laughs> Especially as the story goes on and he goes about tr- getting more and more power from the stones. Uh, yeah, it's... it's. I can't... Re- like, I can't think of anything too awful about it. Like, I will... And, of course, I will say that this is part one of two. They took out the part one and they're going to give part two its own subtitle. What do you think is an interesting idea? That way, I mean, I think it would be more appropriate to call it parts one and two, but I think people have been so burned by movie studios doing that. Like, after Harry Potter, everybody tried to make a young adult movie via part one and part two. And Marvel's, this was announced in 2014 at the height of that, and Marvel's like, as we're working on this, I think we can hold back. I think we can drop the whole part one thing. We can just call it something else. You know, we can establish that it is just part one of the story, but we don't need to call it part one, and it's not all that necessary. And I'm, and that makes me interesting, interested in seeing what... Because the, they haven't announced the name of the follow-up yet, so I'm interested to see what title they'll go with. Because uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff dealing with the Infinity Stones in the comics that they can pull from. There's the Infinity Gauntlet title. There's uh, just the Infinity. There's just uh, a storyline called the called Infinity. Um, I'm trying to think of what are the other ones? Because the big one was Infinity War. Uh, there's there was a recent one just cut entitled Infinity, and then there was a one in the '90s called Infinity Gauntlet. Um, let me see. Where is Infinity Countdown? 
Let me see. Publication. Let me, let me see about uh, Infinity Stones in the comics. Infinity Gems. Publication history. Here we go. Or rather, um, yeah, publication history. Uh, Thanos War was one. Ba, 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 ba. Thanos Quest was another one. There's the Infinity Gauntlet. Warlock and the Infinity Watch. Let me see. There's the Infinity War tie-in line. Infinity Crusade is another possibility. Um, there's a lot of Thanos title-based titles. Okay, it looks like uh, those are the big ones. So yeah, um, yeah, basic. Oh wait, there's more. Uh, there's references. Uh, Infinity War, Infinity Crusade. Those are uh, all tie-in stuff. Uh, Thanos. There was a Thanos line. Those are individual issues. Infinity Countdown. I mentioned. There's a Secret Wars thing, but that's a recent Secret Wars where they copied the title from the original Secret Wars and introduced the Venom suit, the symbiote suit. Oh, I'm sorry, the symbiote suit. God, I can't wait to tear that movie apart. Um, or who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Uh, but yeah, basically, there's a there's a couple there's a couple of titles they could they could use, or they could come up with um, they could come up with their own uh title that that has nothing to do with the comics. They, I mean, heck, Age of Ultron was turned into a comic based on the use of the na- of the subtitle for the second Avengers movie. So, who knows what they uh, who knows what they go who knows what they plan to go with um. But yeah, uh, they've got plenty of options available to them. Uh, I think that's about as much as I can go into without going too much into spoilers. So I'll just leave it at that. Avengers Infinity War is my current favorite MCU movie. It's a it's really dark. The darkest they've ever gone. So it's not meant for the faint of heart, and it may not, and you may not like it. I can't speak for your. T- I can't speak for what you look for. In these sorts of movies. But for me, as a fan of this franchise, this is everything I've been wanting. And now I have to wait another year for part two to finish the story. Uh, so, I think that about does it. So, let's, uh, let, why don't I, uh, hit the spoiler alert button. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Now, from this point on, it's all spoilers. If you do not want this movie spoiled for you, you can skip ahead to the discussion portion, where I'll keep any and all spoilers out. This is strictly 
spoiler talk for this segment. Now then. This movie done broke my mind. This movie broke my mind after seeing it. And I had to see it a second time to comprehend everything that went on. But I'll say this. Yeah, everybody, like, 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 this, at the end of part one, Thanos succeeds. I think this is, aside from Civil War, this is the only time a villain in the Marvel Universe succeeds in their plans. And I think that's a good thing. We need more of the heroes failing at something. We need to know that not everything can be solved in two hours. That they could eat. That, that, that sometimes it's going to take more than once. That's the whole point of having serialized storytelling on in a cinematic form. But yeah, it's it's phenomenal, and yeah, um, that that's the thing. People are dead. Like like as far as we know, they we don't know who all is coming back. I mean, we do know one person is coming back, um, but I'll get into him in a bit. And but yeah, uh, people are people are dying. People people die. People Marvel does not care about who you care about in this franchise. They they, they just like once again, and people are dead. So um, I guess we'll lead off with the death count for right now, right off the bat. I don't, I'm not, I don't know if, um, because that's the thing. The movie opens up with a, uh, distress signal, uh, to, I think the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I can't tell if it's from Xandar, um, okay, yeah, okay, it was the Asgardians, it looks like. Um, but basically, uh, the Asgardians signal for assistance because they're under attack by Thanos, and that's where we open up the movie. Thanos decimating the surviving Asgardians. After, after surviving Ragnarok, half of the, uh, half of the Asgardians are, have, are then murdered by Thanos and his and his uh, and his lieutenants in in searching for uh, for searching for the stones, and it and prior to the events of the movie, uh, Thanos invaded Xandar and stole the Power Stone from the Nova Corps, and then and so after that he gains the uh, the gains the ta- gains the Space Stone. From Loki, who had stolen the Tesseract from from Asgard before it was destroyed, and we, as for the named Asgardians that survived Thor Ragnarok, we know that Sif is still not with them; she's still in exile. Heimdall, Valkyrie, Loki, and Thor are the main ones. Valkyrie is not seen, so she may still be alive. But Loki and Heimdall are killed on screen. Although knowing Loki, who knows? Maybe he didn't manage to pull one over on Thanos. But at this point, we aren't certain of that. We'll have to wait and see if that if what happens there. But Thor was really one of the last survivors of um, 
of his people. You know, most of his people have been lost and we don't know where they are. We don't know if they, how far they got away, where they went to, what happened to them. But yeah, they're, they're gone. Half of the Asgardians are gone and Thor is one of the last survivors after Thanos found them. And after that, the next casualty is Gamora, who, uh, well, no, actually we find out the next casualty is the Collector. Uh, we find T-Van was, was, I, although we don't know that he's dead, we never see a body, we see that Thanos destroyed his collection and got the reality stone. But we don't know for sure that Tivan is dead. We're just assuming he's dead. After that, Thanos, we find out what happened to the Soul Stone with a great cameo uh, that kind of that kind of ties back all the way to Phase One to to the first Avenger. When it turns out the Guardian of the Soul Stone is in fact the Red Skull. Not played by uh, Hugo Weaving here. Uh, I was, I was, I, I, I double checked that, but um, yeah, but definitely, um, but definitely, uh, yeah. It's it, it's not all. Having rewatched them all, I kind of, I kind of picked up on that. That. Um, That uh, he didn't technically die. He they, that the tesseract is the space stone, and that it technically put him through a portal. Uh, but it's not Hugo Weaving who didn't care much for the role in the first place. So replacing and this guy they replaced him with is is yeah, he's he hey he 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 fooled me. I thought Hugo Weaving was returning, but apparently it's um. Aaron from The Walking Dead, Roscoe Marquand. Uh, he's also been in stuff I've never heard of and that does not have Wikipedia pages. Let me see what else. Um, apparently he voiced Han Solo in the Star Wars episode of Phineas and Ferb. Deadbeat, Last Tycoon, Robot Chicken. Apparently he's a voice for Han Solo in stuff. Apparently he's like the voiceover guy for Han Solo. Interesting. Um, but yeah, he he's Paul Newman in an episode of Mad Men, and that yeah he that's those are the big his big one is Aaron on The Walking Dead. But hey, I I didn't recognize him at all. I I could have sworn that was Hugo Weaving. But and that's a nice way of subverting a recasting without letting anybody catch on. And if if that means we get the Red Skull back as a main villain for Cap. I'm down with that. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, then we then uh, as part of retrieving the Soul Stone, uh, Thanos must sacrifice something he loves—a uh, soul for a soul—and he does so because, as it was established, Gamora is his favorite child of all the children he's quote unquote adopted. Gamora is the one he's cared about the most. Like, they established that he never cares much for Nebula, that it's Gamora he trusts, that it's Gamora he is the most proud of, and it's Gamora he can It's Gamora that is the one that he is forced to sacrifice in order to... Because, I mean, he could... I mean, who else would he... I mean, even if it wasn't Gamora, who else would he have sacrificed? Maw? 
uh, Proxima Midnight, like one of the other children, no, there wasn't really anybody he cared that much about. It had to be Gamora. And it's a heartbreaking scene because as soon as, as, soon as Red Skull reveals that it, it requires a life for a life, you're like, you can, you can immediately, you see it through Thanos that's like, oh, oh, this is what I gotta do. This is what I gotta do. Miss this got hard. Uh, after Gamora, the next real casualty, besides various Wakandan soldiers, is uh, is um, Vision, who of course was going to have to die because he had the Mind Stone, and if Thanos is going to complete the Gauntlet, he needs the Mind Stone from Vision, and the way to go about it too is is heartbreaking because 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 basically what happened is he had just uh, best he he had finally gotten the time stone from Doctor Strange and he returns to and he goes to Earth to retrieve the mind stone and you see uh Wanda Scarlet Witch finally accepting that she has to destroy the mind stone and thus kill the man she loves or robot she loves the person, the, the the being that she loves, and she's a, she succeeds, and then Thanos uh, comfort quote unquote comforts her, and then turns back time, revives Vision just so he can kill him and take the Mind Stone, and then after after that point he's 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 retrieved all six stones, and he does he does the thing. He does the thing, and he kills half of the universe. We don't know how many of the civilian deaths we are. I will say that one of the things that I think would have been more... Uh, that it may have been too much to see civilians die. That may be a cutscene or something. But I think gaining, having an understanding of just how far-reaching these deaths were would have been... would have been an even bigger impact on it. I mean, it's a, it's a rough sit through uh, all at all period because you get to watch some of your favorites especially some of your newer favorites like black panther t'challa gone peter parker spider-man gone the only guardians surviving are rocket and the and nebula we don't you know groot star lord drax mantis gone uh dr strange gone uh, Bucky, Bucky's the first one. He 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 turns into dust right before Cap's eyes. Sam, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, gone. Wanda, gone. Um, I think I think those are the big ones because I know uh, Black Widow's like the main survivors are kind of the core Avengers. You've got Bruce surviving, Cap. Thor, Iron Man, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and uh, Ant Man were established to be off screen during this whole ordeal. The Ant Man took a deal; they both took a deal so they could be with their family and just be under house arrest. And they established that in the trailers for Ant Man and the Wasps. Wasps. So we'll see uh, how the events of, of, of Infinity War tie into uh, Ant Man and the Wasp this summer. But yeah, we don't know if Hawkeye survived, but the main 
the main core of them, Iron Man, Cap, Thor, Hulk, and Black Widow are the pretty much the main ones still alive. War Machine is still alive. I believe both Okoye and Ayo are still alive. Uh, the Dory Milaje and Umbaku is still alive. We don't know if Shuri is still alive, but we know, But they did kill off T'Challa. And um, I'm trying to think who else. I think those are Rocket, Rocket, and Nebula are still alive. And then in the teaser ending credits, it's revealed that Maria Hill and Nick Fury, um, they don't make it. But Nick Fury is able to call, let out a signal to tease 2019's first MCU movie after Ant-Man and the Wasp, the period piece Captain Marvel. So Captain Marvel, uh, the, which is about Carol Danvers, uh, that's not coming out until 2019, but, they, th- but we know that her story is, is going to tie back into Thanos and it's eventually going to tie back into Infinity War. And she's going to probably be the one team. So let's see. As the remaining Avengers are the, are, are the original five minus Hawkeye, which who we don't know the status of. Um, we don't know the status of Ant-Man. Uh, we know that War Machine, um, a couple of the Black Panther supporting characters uh, are, still, are still alive. War Machine is probably the only one who's going to be taking a part in anything. But yeah, most because I'm assuming most of the Black Panther characters are going to be like, we need to keep Wakanda running in the absence of our king, which makes sense. Um, we know we know uh, Rocket and Nebula are still alive, and I think those are the big ones. I think every like Peter, Wanda, Vision, so much of the Avengers that they've built up to this point are just gone, and it's back down to. The, to mainly the original six, uh, we five confirmed, one unconfirmed, but it's mainly down to them, and and a few of the other supporting Avengers like War Machine and the Guardians, and we know that Captain Marvel is going to team up with them. So we have no idea what, how the hell they're going to undo any of this. I don't know how it was in the comics. If you do, if you do read the comics, you may have a better idea of what they do. I will say this: they did. I noticed an interesting thing this time around. After uh, Thanos snaps his fingers with the gauntlet, you you can easily tell the gauntlet is damaged. The gauntlet is is scarred and burned and and broken. And it's still usable because he's able to use the Space Stone to escape. But you also notice in the final shot of Thanos kind of marveling at him and finally succeeding that his arm, there's some something wrong with it. It's something going through his veins because it goes through the venal, vein, the, uh, it goes through the veins, the network of veins down up and down his arm into his sternum and neck. So it goes all the way up his arm. It's not as prominent because he's got a bit of a sleeve and the gauntlet covering most of it, but you can tell something's up with the with the um left side of his body. Uh it may it may just be the arm up to the up to the torso or it may be the whole left side of the body. We don't know. Um we'll find out. But basically him doing that 
did a lot of damage to the gauntlet and and also uh just overall did a lot of damage to himself you know i doubt i doubt he'll even be able to pull off something like that again so i'm dying to see how they follow this up uh we've got two movies to wait for that and a and another year we've got ant-man and the wasp this summer and we've got captain marvel's origins in 2019 early 2019 and then we've got the fi- the end of phase 3 and the culmination of everything set out from Iron Man in 2008 so 11 years and let me see let me double check the counting on this We've got six in the in phase one, six in phase two, and then we've got one, two, three, four, five, six. There, there's the eighteen leading up. Infinity War is nineteen. Ant Man and the Wasp will be twenty, and Captain Marvel will be twenty one. So. The 22nd film will be, and the culmination of all three phases, will be in 2019. So it'll be 22 films in 11 years. And so, yeah, we've got a bit of time before then, but I honestly cannot wait. This is just, this is, this is what I live for with this series. Although um, Nash brings up a good point that, what do they do from here? And this was a problem in the comics, too, because after Thanos and the Infinity Stones were introduced and beat and beaten, the Marvel, Marvel comics had an issue of what do they do for their big events? And they, and they decided to be like, well, what if the heroes just fight each other? And that's been their main, their main thing for event comics since then. Like, they haven't really introduced any new villains. They haven't really introduced any... Anything extra, you know, extra to the continuity? They haven't built up any. They haven't built up anything of the same scale as Thanos afterwards. But yeah, it's that, like they like. I could imagine Marvel playing with inter other dimensions because I mean they kind of did that with the with the um, the six one six main Marvel continuity and ult- and the Ultimate continuity merging together. But they never really pl- they could. They could go for an. They could go for um, Crisis on Infinite Earth style, like multi-planar, multi-dimensional storyline with Marvel characters, but and it's a bit cribbing, a bit much cribbing from DC. But I don't know, like how many? You can't. There's only so many times you can just see the heroes like we don't get along. Now let's fight. You know that feels like something forced. That's what. It's part of the reason I don't like Injustice. The uh, the storyline for Injustice. The game is fine. The storyline is utter trash, and everyone's written out of character for the most part. And it's part of why I don't like it because it's forcing the heroes into a fight that doesn't ma- really make that much sense. But yeah, that's 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 more that's more like actual comic book stuff. So we'll so who knows what'll happen there. But yeah, that was Infinity War. So with that being said, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the MC, the current state 
of the MCU. Minus the spoilery stuff for those who wanted to skip it. want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have Don't read the line. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying Welcome back, both of those who sat through the spoilers and those of you who skipped ahead. Uh, let's talk. So let's talk about the MCU. Last time we did this was, wow, my first year of podcasting in 2016 with Marvel, um, with Captain America: Civil War. Uh, so it's been that's been quite a while since then. I think I looked at my old um, ranking and it was fairly um, fairly generic, actually, all things considered. Like, that one I had uh, Winter Soldier, Civil War, and Avengers at the top. And then, like, the bottoms were Iron Man, the Iron Man sequels, and Thor the Dark World. Like, I put Iron Man 2 and Thor the Dark World below Iron Man 3. And Age of Ultron was above even the Incredible Hulk. Which, not to give too much away, but this this entire list has been upended. Uh, so, the current state of, of the MCU and my current ranking... From best to worst. Number one we just talked about. Infinity War. It's been the great culmination of 10 years and 18 movies. And the storyline is phenomenal. And I think they... I Even though it's only part one of the overall Infinity War story. Uh, it's still... It's still a phenomenal movie in its own right. And I can't wait to see how they follow it up. And I really hope it's as good as this one. But uh, yeah. Number two... One that I'm seeing a lot more disagreement on. I assume Civil War was one of the uh, more beloved of the franchise, but I'm seeing a lot more people not into it. Uh, One I know, one of somebody I met online recently who didn't like it because they don't like the idea of the heroes fighting each other, and they've got a point. You don't need to make the heroes fight each other in order to tell a compelling story. But I feel like, considering the how the comic was written. The Russo brothers and uh, Marcus and McFeely made an infinitely better option based on that. And it was built around what had happened previously. So this isn't exactly out of nowhere either. So, yeah, uh, all things considered, uh, Captain America Civil War is infinitely better than the comic book it's based on. Screw you, Malar, you hack. Um, yeah, it's and this was for the longest time one of my top. Uh, one, my top uh, pick for the thing. For uh, the best of the MCU. However. There were. I'll put it this way. Previously there was like a quote unquote tie. Like. Uh, undu- not undulating. But ever shifting. Uh, one and two spot. The one and two spots. 
were all were ever shifting based on how I was feeling and what you look for in a movie. So, here's the thing. I think Infinity War is the best the MCU has done so far. Civil War is my favorite storyline because the execution of it is great. But at the same time, you could also argue Black Panther should be the number two in the in this ranking as well. It, on any given day, depending on what I'm looking for, what I want out of a movie, Black Panther and Civil War could easily switch places. These two are not set in stone. They're shifting back and forth, you know, like 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 waves on, on, on the ocean or something. I don't know. But yeah, Black Panther really has solidified itself as one of the top-tier Marvel movies. Uh, I, I know people complain that, oh, the storyline is all that is pretty generic. And ultimately, yeah, but this isn't about story. It's about characters, characterization, performances, and design. And also, it's also cultural, too. It's cultural representation on a scale that hasn't really been seen before. You know? How many times do you see a you know, multi-billion dollar global corporation, global media corporations, invest that much money in, an, in a 90%, almost 90, a 98% black-centered uh, movie. Like, black, and not only that, black director, black writers, most of the production crew are black. This is... This it, this truly is representation on a scale I don't think we've ever seen from a like like imagine if Disney did something like this for Mulan, for their upcoming Mulan movie Chinese director Chinese writer Chinese American writers or Chinese writers with maybe like a translator or somebody to help somebody to help you know somebody to you know somebody else there but mainly Chinese writers. Um, then Chinese production staff, so designers, um, you know, the, the main, the main idea people behind, uh, behind things like co- even down to like costuming and cinematography, mostly Chinese, you know, mostly people of Chinese descent and that it's mainly, and then, then it's all completely Chinese cast. And then it's also got almost got, and then it's also pumped full of hundreds of millions of dollars in order to finance it. That would be incredible because, like, even even the Aladdin remake they're doing is suffering a lot from representation. Because on screen, it's mainly you know they're trying to be representative of the Middle East, but behind the scenes, it's still mainly white folk. You know, it's still mainly a bunch of white dudes. I think. Uh, let me double check. Let me double check that Aladdin remake. Who's behind it? Oh god, that's coming out next year. Uh, Guy Ritchie's directing. Uh, Dan Lin, who did the Lego, who's helped write on, who helped produce the Lego movies, uh, is is one of the writers. And then Mark Platt, who produced. Oh no, that's producers. Um, who's the writers? John August. Who did Charlie's the Charlie's Angel movies, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Frankenweenie? Looks like, seems to be a white dude. Yep, white dude. Guy Ritchie and Vanessa Taylor, 
who did Hope Springs, Divergent, and The Shape of Water. That's an interesting mix. So yeah, uh, three white folk and a white and an English director are all going to adapt a story about uh, the Middle East. And that's the thing. As much as you want to say, well, it's a meritocracy. These people are just the best for the job. Representation matters. It's why, you know, it's why Disney didn't want to stick their foot in it, stick their foot in a wasp nest by saying, here's your Black Panther movie. By the way, all the people who made it are white. I think going the extra mile and allowing, and, and not only allowing, but emphasizing the fact that this is a black production. This is people in the industry who either have been working a long time or are fairly new, who are all people who are all people of color, doing the big, doing all of the big stuff: costume design, production design, direction. Cinema, wait, no, who is the cinematographer? The cinematographer was a was was, a, was is an open lesbian, I think. That's a, that's her thing, right? Let me see. Cinematic Universe, Black Panther. Cinematography by Rachel Morrison, who's been working with, uh, who actually worked with uh, Ryan Coogler on Fruitvale Station. I don't know if uh, she worked with him. Uh, okay, yeah, so she's white, but yeah, but at the same time, this oh, she oh, wait, what did she do for uh, Mudbound? Was that cinematography or was that uh, actual like? No, Dee Rees was the uh, director for that. She's been the cinematographer. She also did Dope. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> she, she, she shot Tim and Eric's billion-dollar movie. Oh, well, you, gotta, you, you get work where you can. I, I can't fault her for that. It's not her fault the movie sucks. But, yeah. Uh, most of the... So, yeah, most... So, I mean, there's representation across the board behind Black Panther. And I think then I think that's what that's what matters as well. The fact that it's not just the same inner circle of, you know, film school alum white folk, you know? It's people who are up and coming in the industry or who aren't within that same circle of everybody that that Hollywood likes to use. It it's Disney it's Disney and Marvel saying you know why? Why does it? Why are we going to get like like if we're going to tell an Africa Afrocentric story? Let's give people who, who who can comment on that more in depth than having some white because what who who would you rather hear from? Somebody with a history behind that, or with you know with some connection to the story, or from somebody who has no connection to the story to the culture and to the into what the subject matter is, but who really researched it, you know, that that's that I'm getting, I'm getting way too distracted, but basically, yeah, Black Panther has a lot of cultural significance and it's also a really damn good movie in its own right. So any given day, Civil War and Captain and uh, Black and Black Panther will, will switch places. And then, but for right now, Infinity War is the top of the heap. Um, after Black Panther and Civil War, are, is the Winter Soldier, which I, which I absolutely adore. It was my I put this above Civil War at first. Upon rewatch, it's only slightly below uh, Civil War, just because it went Civil War is able to do more. It took what was established as Winter Soldier 
and went further with it. But it's but all of these. Once again, all of these are five star movies for the for the most part. It's just a matter of where among it's like the little minutia that differentiate themselves bet, between being you know between which I would watch again first. You know, uh, after after Winter Soldier, the Avengers. You know. The one that kicked, the one that was the the big one, the one that they alluded to all the way back in Iron Man, the one that, the one that helped kickstart this whole entire franchise into high gear, and it's it still holds up for the most part. There's a couple of things that you notice that are pretty awkward and and unnecessary, like the Mewling Quim line. Like for those who don't know, Mewling Quim is basically like calling a woman the c word. That's it's Shakespearean for you know. Catch you next Tuesday. So that was kind of unnecessary. You didn't need to throw that kind of language in there. Just to, like, ooh, look at me. I read Shakespeare, and here's a here's an old English way of of calling a woman a eh, yeah. And but at the same time, like most of the all the action is phenomenal. That's it's 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 so damn quotable and fanta- and phenomenal. It it it, it really felt like the pinnacle of the idea of a comic book movie. Because you would imagine this sort of meeting up of the Avengers in the comics initially. And it works great on that aspect. Um, after that, we're still in the five-star territories with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and then Volume 1. Initially, I put vo- uh, the Volume 1 first because I thought Volume 2 was a bit much. Like, I thought, even though it was focused so much on the characters... In the second, the sound in the second one, the first one was a lot more fun to watch. That's still true, but when you think about, but on, but upon rewatch, even though the first one is more blockbuster popcorn fare, the second one has a lot more heart going into it. The second one is probably the one of the few movies to actually make me tear up in the MCU. It really is just heartfelt and moving, like. There, I was writing the field, the feel, you know, the feelings express all the way to Field Town, USA. You know, no stops, nonstop. Eh, eh. Here comes the fuel train. Oh man, that movie! It's 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 just so, and, and everything is executed so well in it that yeah, it is. It is, it is a bit, but you know, it, there is more to it than the first movie, which is more of a, you know, Star Wars-esque adventure, space fantasy adventure movie. But at the same time, once again, they're both five-star movies that you could easily turn on. It's just, one is a bit more heart going to going for it and has a lot of really, really touching moments towards the end, especially in the latter half of the movie. You know, I will say the first half of Guardians Volume 2 is a bit much. It leans heavy on the jokes as though, like, we've got a lot of feels coming up in the second half. Let's punch up the first half. And, and yeah, not all the jokes hit as well. But at the same time, I feel like the the uh, heartfelt uh, moments in the second half make up for the kind of almost forced humor of the first part. Anyway, after that, the one that, stuck, the one that started all, the one that kicked off the whole franchise... Iron Man. Upon rewatch, I didn't even mind the Ironmonger fight. I think it's not great. I don't think it's great. I definitely think Iron Man, 
like I think the climax in Iron Man two is better, but at the same time, like Iron Man one, everything leading up to that climax was just unprecedented in how great it was. Like Iron Man and Dark Knight came out the same year, and they changed film superhero movies for the better. And sadly, while DC has been floundering since the Dark Knight, Marvel has been done nothing but excel since Iron Man. And and I'm excited to see how they plan to continue this because I'm guessing they're going to continue this in perpetuity until they feel the need to reboot the entire universe. I mean, you know, people get old. You need to recast. You know, you can't keep the same continuity going forever. I mean, look what happened to the comics. It became convoluted as hell. Uh, anyway, after this, we come into the four-star territory. The next couple are all four-star movies. First up, Spider-Man Homecoming. I'm not, I've never been into, big into Spider-Man, so I can't speak to... But I feel like this is the best representation of the character, both as Peter Parker and as Spider-Man we've gotten on screen ever, period. I can't speak to whether it's better than Spider-Man 2, which is most people's... Uh, high watermark for Spider-Man. I'd have to do like a whole Spider-Man retrospective to see how I think about that. You know what? I think I'll do that. I think, um, not for Venom, because Venom's not actually a Spider-Man movie. Which, why wouldn't <sighs> Sony, why you do these things? Sony is that, is that one kid you should never trust with a hammer, and yet who always manages to find a way to get their hands on a hammer. Somebody take the hammer out of Sony's hands. They can't be trusted with it. <sighs> anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm going to... Well, I think in, Into the Spider-Verse, the animated movie coming out in November, I think I'll do a Spider-Man retrospective on that and see what I think of the main big-budget Spider-Man outings on screen and which I think are best and worst and what I like most about the character. Um, as someone who's never been into Spider-Man uh, growing up, like... Like you, I never, I didn't get into comics until like college. So by that point, Spider-Man didn't speak to me as much, and I found more. I I started to identify more with uh, Cap initially. Cap is my go-to. Cap and Superman. Cap and Superman are my favorite superheroes. Like that's the thing. People hate Superman because he's a goody two-shoes and overpowered. I but I think when Superman is done right. Like in the uh, DC animated universe and in things like uh, Spider- Superman vs. the Elite. Superman is one of the best characters in comic books, period. And Cap is in that same vein. When he's written well, you know, i.e. not not by Mark Millar. Yeah, fun fact. Mark Millar decided to make Cap- Captain America an asshole in the Ultimates universe. If, if, you, want a, if you want a fun meme to call back to... In Ultimates number one, Mark Millar, for real, in a publication from Marvel Comics officially, had Captain America say, "Does this? do you think this A stands for France? As though Captain America, a World War II vet, would think less of the French whom he fought alongside with. Like any, like any of the World War II, like most of the people who make that kind of joke and reference are assholes who never even fought in World War II. 
Because actual veterans of the European conflict know for a fact the French were more were there the whole time and fighting back against Hitler way before the Americans showed up. They would not be pulling... An actual World War II vet would not pull that crap. Moar, you hack. Sorry. I do not... I If it, if it hasn't become clear for those listening to long-time listeners of the podcast, Mark Millar is not one of my favorite comic writers at all. Like, ever. Anyway, um, this got really sidetracked. But yeah, Spider-Man Home... Uh, I was getting to the point where um, uh, Spider-Man... The Sam Raimi Spider-Man, good Peter Parker. Tobey Maguire makes for a good Peter Parker, but he never caught the joyful sort of trolly aspect of of Spider-Man. Like the one thing, even though I never was into Spider-Man as a character, I got the appeal. He's a mild-mannered kid who, once he does the suit, gains the confidence to be the outgoing sort of you know sort of class clown of the Marvel universe. That's why so many people identify with him because he has. Even though he's got a lot of, you know, personal issues as Parker, when he dons the suit, for the most part, he is he is the class clown. He's the guy who's like, hey, you know, he's almost like the Fonz of the Marvel Universe in a way. Because once he puts up, it's like if the Fonz and Richie were the same, Richie Cunningham were the same person. But when Richie put on the jacket and 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 put and like street and like put the grease in his hair. He showed up. It's like the Fonz, you know. That's kind of, that's how I kind of picture. Although I guess Tony would be more of the Fonz of the Marvel universe. Now that you think about it. Anyway, um, yeah. But ba- basically, when Peter Parker becomes Spider Man, he becomes outgoing and jokey and quippy and make and makes and and, and you know makes witty banter with villains and he throws them off their game by by joking with them and by telling by by mocking them he's a he's a little troll you know he's like a fun troll the one who goes against the people who actually deserve it but um you know not a hateful troll he's like he's like he's a needler he pushes your buttons as spider-man but um but yeah sam raimi didn't have that as spider-man he, but he got the Peter Parker da- part down. The Amazing Spider-Man improved on the Spider-Man quips and the banter and the energy as Spider-Man. Their Peter Parker was an annoying little little douche. He was a hipster douchebag who was who was all up his own ass with how te- you know how you know with e- emotion. You know he's he is. Um, Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker is the quintessential edgelord. Uh, you know, like if you look at his Peter Parker just from the look and the attitude, he screams internet edgelord. And yet when he becomes Spider-Man, he actually becomes likable for a change. So Homecoming, even though it wasn't the best from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, managed to marry the Sam Raimi Peter Parker with something more in line with the amazing Spider-Man's Spider-Man. So you've got a Peter Parker who's dorky and you know and uncoordinated and kind of a kind of a loser, but when he dons the suit, he's he's joke he, he's jokey and he's quippy and he's you know he's cool and he's acrobatic. And he's, he's so and and he even though some of Peter's um, insecurities can come through as Spider Man when he's around like people who know he's Spider Man like Tony Stark. 
and all the and you know the people in Civil War. As soon as he's he's um you know he's he's some of that slips some of his you know nerdiness slips through, but at the same time, like he's still the best representation of Spider-Man on film for right now. And I love Tom Holland. Tom Holland is my favorite Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I love him. He's phenomenal. And and yeah, it's I'm and it's it's once again, Spider-Man was never one of my favorite characters, but I will acknowledge Spider-Man Homecoming was a true homecoming for Spider-Man from Sony Pictures. And I can't wait to see what they how they you know, you know what they what their plans are uh, later on down the line since since the deal with Sony, and I really hope Venom fails so that Sony will just be like, "Look, you make the movies, okay? Screw it, you know, because that's all they need to do. Just let Marvel let uh, Corey Coleman put it best on Double Toasted uh, during one of the Venom uh, Venom when he was reviewing the Venom trailer." Sony is like a pimp who, instead of letting Marvel make the money for him, decides, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to turn these tricks out here. Why would you do that? This person is making you the money. Sit back, take the money, and be happy. You don't need to go messing around and screw things up, Sony. But then, uh, I think... um, I think Laurent Redis pointed this out. Uh, the idea that the only reason... Or maybe it was on Double Toasted again. Somebody I followed um, was talking about the Venom trailer. And somebody pointed out that, the, that, that probably one of the reasons Sony is doing this is to maintain the rights to Spider-Man in perpetuity. So they would continue... Kind of like how Fox would do the same thing with Fantastic Four. In order to prevent the rights going back to Marvel... They made a thing so that it would cost more in order to buy back the rights. And I honestly hope that Venom flops. And I kind of want Into the Spider-Verse to flop a bit, but not as... I don't want it to... I don't want it to do MCU money. Only because I want Sony... I want people... I want the the market value of the Spider-Man brand under in sony's hands to be toxic and worth dumping so that marvel can get their hands on it and do do everything they want with it and no longer have sony muck everything up although i think the spider-man into the spider-verse uh movie will be fine but it's that venom movie that i think people are going to be like yeah y'all done goofed you done goofed guys you had a good thing going with the MCU, and then you decided to screw it all up. Because, like, they were talking about another Sinister Six movie, Black Black Hat and Silver Sable t- team-up movie, and it's like, why would you do all of this when the main character behind their, them being in the universe is Peter Parker as Spider-Man? You idiots! Venom even makes even less sense because the whole reason Venom gained those powers was through Spider-Man! Anyway, we'll save that for the actual Venom review. But, um, yeah, next up, Captain America the First Avenger. I think it's a great period piece, and it's a great introduction to Cap, but it's not one of my... I think the Russo brothers really took Cap and and excelled with him, whereas uh, the First Avenger was kind of like a throwback piece. It was a retro film, you know, which makes sense because Joe Johnston also directed The Rocketeer, another World War II 
era, well, pre-World War II, but that same early 20th century era kind of fantasy, you know, pulpish fantasy action. And yeah, First Avenger is still great, still watchable. I like it a lot more this time around, but it, you know, I just like the sequels a lot better. Uh, Next up, Thor Ragnarok. This one, I think, suffers a lot from the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 thing of having too many jokes. Because the humor tends to undo any actual dramatic tension. But at the same time, Taika Waititi managed to make Thor awesome. Which which is something that nobody in the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been able to do with him. Not Kenneth Branagh, not the guy from Game of Thrones. Taika Waititi was able to come in and make Thor awesome. Because aside from, like, the Avengers, nobody's been able to do that with Thor. Especially not in solo films. And here, it's... It's, once again, another great retro throwback with, like, 80s sci-fi kind of uh, re- kind of uh, aesthetic going on. Uh, it's a great... It's a great adapt... It's a great ta- you know, reference to the World War Hulk storyline, all things considered. Since they can't do that, thanks, Universal. Um, you know... I'm curious. Will Universal pull the same thing that Fox and Sony did to maintain the rights to the Hulk, or will they just let that slide? And how long do we have to wait till they let them slide? Because I would love for the UFOs and for and for She-Hulk and Red Hulk to start getting introduced into the MCU. Like Thunderbolt Ross is becoming a mainstay in the series, so I cannot wait for him to finally turn into Red Hulk at some point. We just need. So we, I mean, they can introduce him a la Spider-Man and Black Panther in Civil War. They can introduce him in a in like an, in like an Avengers storyline. But I really hope we can get like a World War Hulk movie. And it's like the first official um, Hulk movie with the rights back from Universal uh, is World War Hulk, where we get introduced to not only Red Hulk, Thunderbolt Ross becomes Red Hulk. But then we also get introduced to She-Hulk, and and it's it's Hulk, She-Hulk, maybe couple, maybe one or two of the Avengers versus Red Hulk and Abomination and um, the Leader, like the Leader and Red Hulk. The Leader helps create Red Hulk, and then he forms a team to try and take down the Hulk. But thanks to um, Thanks to She-Hulk, but but as part of that process, She-Hulk is created, and then like I think Iron Man or maybe um, maybe Captain America, somebody from the Avengers shows up and sees Hulk needs help and is willing to willing to help out and stop these Hulk. You know, stop maybe like War Machine because it's like they've established their rapport between Rhodes and uh, Rhodey and uh, Thunderbolt Ross. Because that would that would make that would make a lot of sense. So Iron Man, like maybe Iron Man and War Machine, help Hulk face off against this and like evil Hulk team. <sighs> Movie rights are stupid, y'all. Anyway, Thor Ragnarok, phenom- It's a great movie, fun time. I just, I, it, I just, I think it's a little disjointed, all things considered. But it works. It it, it work. It works, and it's one hell of a ride. Uh, number then the last of the four stars, Doctor Strange. The lowest ranking of the Phase Three is still a four star movie. Let that one sink in for you. 
they're going to have to try to really, really hard to make Phase 3 the worst of the MCU, which I'll get into, which I think is the worst. But Doctor Strange, kind of generic. Ultimately, you have to adapt magic Tony Stark from the comics. But I think, all things considered, they did the best they could do. Plus, Derrickson and whoever was the production designer to, to utilize so much of Strange... Because that's the thing. Derrickson will be the first one to point out the source that he took inspiration from for, from, for the movie from the comics. So, like, he'll cite, like, a, almost like a black-white... Black, uh, a black-light, you know, college dorm painting done by, like, Jack Kirby or somebody as, like, oh, this is what, this is what we used to, as inspiration for the Dark World. For um, the Dark Dimension with Dormammu. Uh, this is what we, you know, this is the part of the comic we use for this aspect of the movie. And it's like, not only did you guys, not only are you guys creating like Marvel's inception in terms of, in terms of production design, you're also taking it as from the comics that it's based on. So it's like, it's like a perfect way of like bringing these things from the comics to life, but also be like really out there and, and like, and amazing visually. So yeah, I I really like Doctor Strange, and I I'm I, after his his stint in Infinity War, I'm curious to see what the plans are for for him in the whatever plans there are for him in the future. And uh, now we get down into the to the uh, lower rank to the you know to the, the first these last. Bunches of movies have been um, four and five star. I don't think I had any four and a half stars. Let me double check my. Uh, I do for those who use Letterboxd, you can follow me at Corn Junkie Pod on there. I finally switched over from um, from my old moniker, the Solitary Nerd, and um. Sort by release date, sort by when at it. Okay. Um, here we go. All right. Um, I don't think I had any four and a half star. I think they're either four or five. Yeah, all four or five stars. Um, Thor is three and a half because even though I think Kenneth Branagh did a decent job trying to adapt... Uh, that oh no, uh, Cap First Avenger is four and a half star, huh? Okay, neato. It, well, if that's the case, why is it higher than why isn't it higher than Spider Man Homecoming? You know, yeah, swap that around. Captain America First Avenger is above Spider Man Homecoming. There we go, fixed it. I think I, I think I'm, I think that was a typo on my end. Uh, anyway, Thor is a decent. Uh, t- Wait, why is? Damn it! I forgot to put Ant Man on here. Um, Ant Man's another four star movie, so we'll put him. I think we'll put him behind Doctor Strange. I think Doctor Strange's vis- vis- even though Ant Man has a lot of similar visuals, Doctor Strange is. Are way more cinematic, whereas Ant Man's most of the reliance on the on Ant Man are are the shrinking and stuff. But even you know, it, it, they're still all four star reviews. 
So let me let me double check. There should be nineteen. Yep. Okay. Okay, we're good now. So yeah, uh, quick catch up on Ant Man. Fun heist movie. Kind of curious how the Edgar Wright movie would have turned out, but I'm glad. But I think Peyton Reed made it his own, and it gives a great introduction to Ant Man as a character. And I'm dying to see what they do with it uh, later this summer in the sequel. Um, yeah, and then Thor. I get it's a good idea to tap Kenneth Branagh to try and add some, um, you know, some. Because that's the thing, Thor is Shakespeare for the Marvel Universe, essentially. He's old, he's old, you know, he's old world, he's very, he's, he's, come, he's very much in line with the idea of Shakespearean acting. That's how he's written, for the most part. And so, yeah, you tap Kenneth Branagh to adapt Thor. And for the most part, he gets it. Where he doesn't get it, and what the main problem with Thor is, is the writing of Jane Foster. Now, initially, now... You've been following me on, like, um, Letterboxd and Twitter and uh, and uh, Stardust. Then you'll probably have caught that I owed an apology to Natalie Portman. Because for the longest time, I assumed that Natalie Portman was just being kind of snobbish about the fact that she, you know, that she prefers uh, more traditionally dramatic roles to blockbuster entertainment and then I rewatched the Thor movies with her. And the lady has a point. The lady is absolutely right. What they did to her character was, is, is wholly unnecessary. Because here's the thing. Jane Foster in the comics is one of my favorite characters. And her, and especially, my introduction to her was through, well, Thor. But through Earth's... Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the animated series that they did following the Avengers movie. There, she is, like she is in the comics, a nurse. And Thor meets her and is impressed by her willingness to be like him, a true hero, even though her her power is to help, is to help, you know, bring people back to life and to protect, and to save the, and to save their lives, um, medically. And it's kind of him, kind of, it's him kind of realizing that being you know being mortal doesn't you know there are people who are mortal who are willing to throw their life on the line in ways that he that he had never thought of before and it's part of his humility you know it's him becoming humble uh as a hero and they and that could have worked for Jane Foster in the movies but they wrote her like a really terrible rom-com character and you see that a lot in this. Like she's like, oh, that doesn't go there. Oh, oh, geez, I'm so I'm so nervous because you're so hot. And oh, do do oh, golly gosh. This is Natalie Portman. Why couldn't she have been Thor's equal? You know, in, in some aspects. Like, why does she have to be written as a joke character? That's the main problem. You had a comic relief character with with Darcy. Jane Foster should have been the straight woman. She should have been the one to, to be serious. And then Darcy is the one to crack the jokes. She's Jane Foster doesn't need to also crack the jokes and be silly and goofy like it's one of those really terrible rom-coms from the 90s and 2000s. Like, 
Why, whose idea was it to do that to Jane Foster? What, because she's a love interest? Jane Foster's an actual character, you jerks. So yeah, upon rewatch, that really darkened my view of Thor. And I'll get, I'll get into the sequel in a bit. But yeah, Thor is not... You know, it has a lot of problems. And I think they did all right. But I think you could have done way better, too. Uh, at, next up. One that is a lot higher on the list. Iron Man 2. Upon revisiting, I think people were upset. I think, and some people are still upset because it's a teaser for the Avengers. I do not see that. Upon this rewatch, looking at it collectively, it's not a teaser anymore. It is universe building. It is telling a story and world building with these characters. That's not to say that it's perfect. Because, like, the whole thing... But at the same time, like, I get what they were going for. Like, the whole... Howard Stark came up with a secret new element that just so happened to save Tony Stark's life. Yeah, that's a bit convoluted. But at the same time, have you read comic books? That kind of stuff happens every single day. I also think it's kind of... but, but But, you know, I didn't mind it as much... Uh, as a lot of people did. And I feel like Iron Man 3 has way worse plot holes than Iron Man 2. Plus, I think Whiplash at the start was a really great villain. And sadly, by the time the climax rolls around, he's just relocated to Big Brute that you have to beat up. But I feel like, So I feel like it's kind of ways... And Sam Rockwell has a few moments, but he really isn't a, a comparison to uh, Obadiah Stane's Jeff Bridges. You know? He's kind of, he's unfortunately treated as comic relief villainy, not somebody you should be threatened by. And so, so yeah, Iron Man 2, not great, not as good as the first one, but I think it gets a bad rap, all things considered. Uh, Next up, Thor The Dark World, which we go from three and a half stars down to three, and yeah, 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 I, I really do... Oh, Natalie Portman, an apology, because upon revisiting, not only is Jane Foster written as a rom-com protagonist, she is turned into the literal MacGuffin. She herself, for half of Thor The Dark World, is the MacGuffin. And they do nothing with her but pass her around. The entire, the, for half of the entire movie. Like, here's the thing. I think you could do way more with the ether possessing Jane Foster. Maybe have her become, maybe have her join uh, uh, Malekith. Convince Malekith that the power, he doesn't need to take the power. She can wield the power for him. Or maybe have her, like, become a hero, fight back against... Uh, now, now that she has the power of what is revealed to be an Infinity Stone, she is able to hold her own and fight back and become a hero in her own right. You know, maybe kind of leading into what they, what something for her character in future comics. Just saying. But, uh, yeah, I think, but yeah, once again, it's really bad, right? Who wrote these two? Who wrote these two ones? Who wrote Thor and Thor the Dark World? 
Let's do Thor, new tab, and Thor the Dark World, new tab. Nice thing about Wikipedia since is one of their recent updates has turned the link has allowed you a preview of the link when you hover over it, which I think is a nice one. Um, we've got Ed, Ashley Edward Miller, who's a dude who wrote for Andromeda, Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and Fringe, and worked on X Men First Class. Okay, Zach Stentz, who collaborates with. Uh, Ashley Edward Miller and Don Payne who wrote uh, some Frank-centric episodes of The Simpsons and yeah I I don't recognize him at all hold on Hope and Gloria there it is there it is my super ex-girlfriend and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer that explains so much. And then Thor the Dark World had Don Payne stay on, but added in Christopher Yost, who um, wrote for Marvel Comics, which, yeah, that, I, that's cool. And then Stephen McFeely and Christopher Marcus. But Don Payne and Robert Rodat uh, were the ones who came up with the story. Wait, then who came up with the story for Thor 1? Because I thought I saw J. Michael Straczynski there. Yeah, story by J. Michael Straczynski, which is fine from the comics, and Mark Protosevic, Mark Protosevic, who wrote Poseidon and I Am Legend. So they, exact, they didn't exactly give Thor and Thor the Dark World to the A team there. They, they, they kind of gave relegated to the B and C team for the most part. So yeah, not exactly their best and brightest. And the, but at the same time, I didn't hate it as much this time around. Jane Foster got the bad got a bad rap, but I think the dimensional fighting in the cl- in the climax, and I especially admire Eccleston's performance as Malekith for the most part, even though he's not really given that much to do. And Loki is a lot of fun, but yeah, Thor: The Dark World is kind of middling, all things considered. It's not terrible as like I thought of the last time. I enjoy. I found a lot more to enjoy this time around. But it's not great. I know a lot of people consider this the worst of the MCU, but I'll tell you what mine is in a bit. Um, actually, let me double check something. What, where did I rate Hulk? Yeah, Hulk is three stars as well. Uh, yeah, which is why he's up next. The Incredible Hulk from 2008 is its kind of a mess. Uh, it's got a lot of good things going for it. I would have liked to have seen Edward Norton as the Hulk uh, with, you know... To see what how he would have t- played out in the Avengers, but I think once again these recasts with Don Cheadle and Mark Ruffalo uh, are are kind are decent, and the characters have and the actors have since made those characters their own. So you never really think about that sort of thing, the you know the what ifs of like Edward Norton playing Hulk or uh, Terrence Howard playing War Machine. It just you know it's just at this point it's too late now. You know, and the and the actors we have are great, so who cares? Um, but yeah, Incredible Hulk had a decent storyline going. It had a lot of great setup, but its effects just, especially compared to Iron Man, which came out that same year, Hulk's effects are 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 way way worse. 
Like, Hulk looks really bad. He looks like a video game rendering from, like, a PS2 game. Abomination looks better than Hulk. And a lot of times, Abomination and Hulk look the exact same color. Which is a problem with the whole idea of the muted color palettes that that the comic book movies will take. Yeah, I get it. Comic books are colorful. And you don't want that all the time. But at the same time, allow for some color. Not everything needs to have a black filter, like three black filters over over your over the color palette, dudes. Um, but yeah, I think Edward and I. I think maybe re, even though we, I think we should keep Ross. I think Tim Blake Nelson would make a solid leader, and I think um, Ty Burrell would make a solid Doc Samson. I do think we would be fine if we recast um, Betty Betty Ross. I think Liv Tyler, like nothing against Liv Tyler, but I think she's too whispery and too like, like despite the fact that she's the daughter of Steven Tyler, a guy with one of the biggest voices in the, in, 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 you know, in the 20th century, she is so quiet and soft-spoken and like, it's like she's trying not to wake the baby in the next room and all of her performances. Like you even saw this as Arwen. She was always like, I choose a mortal life. Yeah, it's. I think cast recasting her maybe bring back Jennifer Connelly as like a as like a weird, convoluted way of like bringing back Jennifer Connelly as uh, or um, who's another good option for Betty? Who's a good Betty Ross? Let me take a look at her. We're doing a quick recast of Betty Ross right here on the podcast. Um, if Kristen Ritter hadn't already played her. Uh, I had already played Jessica Jones. I could see Kristen Ritter as uh, Betty Ross. Oh, Nicole Oliver voiced Betty Ross. Interesting. Did not know that. Um, let me let me see what actresses we got out there. Um, I, you know, okay, so we've got. Olivia Wilde, who's done, um, who's done blockbusters before, she's you know she's able to play the part. Um, Mila Kunis might, Mila Kunis might be able to play a Betty Ross. Uh, Kate Beckinsale, oh, ooh, that might work. Kate Beckinsale as Betty Ross. That actually might work. She would actually, as long as they give her more, more, more interesting stuff to say than she's given in the Underworld series, she should be fine. Um, I could see Jessica Alba as Betty Ross. I could totally see that. It might be a way for her to redeem herself after the Fantastic Four movies. Um, ooh, you know, it'd be a fun. Uh, uh, Hansel and Gretel cross uh, reunion. Make Gemma Arterton. Uh, wait, is she in the is she in the Marvel universe at all? Let me double check. Make sure she's not already in the Marvel universe. You never know; she might be on Agents of Shield or something. But um, if you make Gemma Arterton, oh, she's going to be in the Watership Down miniseries for BBC. I'm so excited. Um, but uh, she was in Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters with. With Hawkeye's Jer- with Hawkeye Jeremy Renner, 
And going back to 2008, apparently she was the, the, the Bond girl in Quantum of Solace too. But, uh, nope. That's not it. Clash of the Titans, Prince of Persia, Love's Labor's Lost, Byzantium. Nothing Marvel-related. Not even TV Marvel-related. So, here's an idea. You do a you bring in Hawkeye for that Hulk for that World War Hulk storyline, and you have scenes of Gemma Arterton as Betty Ross and uh or even uh She Hulk. Um what's She Hulk's name? Um Who is She She Hulk is um what's her name? Come on, I, I know Stan Lee probably created her, but what's her name? Jennifer Walters, there it is. So, Jennifer Arterton, like, it, these actresses could easily play either the human form of She-Hulk or uh, be, be recast as uh, Betty Ross. Huh. I had a thought. Megan Fox... As, as She-Hulk. Because here's the thing. She-Hulk could easily just be like the Hulk. A motion captured uh, enhancement of the, of the actual actor. And you have... I think... And that's a thing. Like, she hasn't been... A, she hasn't been given too much in terms of character... Like, her April O'Neil is a nothing character. Her her Transformers character is a nothing character. Jennifer's body, she's just kind of a uh, a slut for the most part. Uh, she's just kind of the hot chick and This Is 40. I need to double-check that Lois Lane... Vo- she apparently voiced Lois Lane. Yeah, Jonah Hex wasn't all that great. Um, she, I want to hear how she voiced Lois Lane. But I think... If you give Megan Fox a character worth playing, you might actually get a good performance out of her for a change. Just saying, like none of, unfortunately, none of her character, none of her perform, none of her, uh, none of her, uh, none of her roles have been. Uh, I never saw Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. That was early. Um, that was early Megan Fox. Before Transformers. Apparently she was also on Hope and Faith. But, um... Yeah, anyway, these are just ideas I'm, po- I'm popping around. Because that's the thing. I wouldn't mind recasting Liv Tyler because it's not like we're going to lose that much. But, uh, especially since... it, I'll, I think it would make sense because then also then the only real tieback to the Incredible Hulk would be the supporting characters. And I think if you made Mark, if you replaced Ed Norton with Mark Ruffalo, you could easily replace uh, Liv Tyler with somebody else. And so, yeah, that's just ideas I'm throwing around. Anyway, Incredible Hulk is okay, kind of middle of the road. Lastly, the the bottom tier, the lowest of the low when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. First up, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Some people may have more fun with it because it's a lot... Because if you don't think about it, it's kind of fun. 
It's, but it's ultimately a re- number one. It's ultimately a retread of the first Avengers. This is the, this. These are the two star movies. There isn't a one star, thankfully, because they're still production wise good movies. But these are the two two star movies. Um, you'll probably you'll probably guess the last one. But um, Age of Ultron, it it screwed up Ultron as a character because of terrible design choices. I docked several stars on the robot lips alone. Those robot lips on Ultron were number one, unnecessary, and number two, distracting as hell. I cannot take you seriously when you've got great succulent metal lips. Also, how does he get the metal to curl like a lip? See, these are the things that you shouldn't need to bring up with Ultron! They had scenes of Ultron with the mask, with the, with the, 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 cent- with like the drone helmet that Tony had. Just have him use that. Make it menacing. Make it demonic. Make it look like Ghost Rider almost in terms of like silver, like only with silver and red lights. That's all you had to do. But why did you make, give him expressive eyes and lips? He does not need succulent lips. Who the hell thought that was a good idea? The other thing is Black Widow is the worst she's ever been in this movie. For a guy who supposedly writes strong female characters, Joss Whedon turned turned Black Widow into a you know a love struck thirteen year old girl with the Hulk. Like, oh my gosh, isn't, isn't Bruce just so dreamy? They're one step away from that. Because they hammer in that, that Natasha loves Bruce in this movie. And thankfully they don't bring that back for Avengers Infinity War. Because, man, what I hate it that they did. They do not need that love. In, that, that love story, make, number one, makes no sense. Number two, comes the hell out of nowhere. Has no real setup or payoff. And number three, is just just bad. Like, it would be one thing if the love... That's the whole... That, I'll get into more of the discussion about, um, about the problems with the MCU. But the biggest thing is roman- their romances are mostly bad. I think, uh, let me think of, like, I think the best one they've had is Cap and Peggy. I think Steve and Peggy is the best they had. And even that was kind of, kind of hokey and poorly written. Because, like, there's a whole, like, oh, misunderstanding. There's this girl macking on Cap and Betty, and and Peggy gets all jealous. Eh. Like, the Pepper Potts and Tony romance doesn't work. For me, don't really care all that much. Just kind of, it just kind of exists for the sake of existing. Um, the Jane Foster romance is 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 terribly written. And aside from this shoehorned romance, if it were not for this shoehorned romance in Age of Ultron, Jane Foster would probably be the worst love interest in the Marvel universe. Um, I think Lupita Nyong'o's character uh, in Black Panther is up there as. As one of the better ones, as is uh, Rachel McAdams in Doctor Strange, but at the same time, they they hardly play enough of a role to be considered real love interests. The love interest part is almost secondary to their relation to the, just their friendship with the main hero. So 
Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Sharon Carter is kind of just eh. It's like, oh hey, I can date your grandma, so I'll date you. It, it it's not exactly well set up. I'll give them that. Um, I'm gonna see how Hope Van Dyne and Scott work in Ant Man and the Wasp because they mainly set up like a begrudging respect for one another. Not so much, it's only really, it's barely even a love interest, all things considered, by the end of the, by the end of the movie. And even then, it's not all that great either. And like I said, Betty Ross is kind of okay, but Liv Tyler isn't exactly a compelling leading actress. Um, there really isn't a love interest. You can kind of call Valkyrie a love interest in, uh... In in Ragnarok, but she she I don't think she and Thor ever go that far. Um, Gamora's Gamora's lowest points are when they try to force the romance between her and Star Lord. Uh, that 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 really diminishes her character a lot. Um, they play yeah I think yeah I think that's those are the big ones in terms of love interests yeah. Marvel is not good at writing romance, like, at all. So, oof. Yeah, and, that, and so here it's, it's not, only, not only is Black Widow turned into a love-struck 13-year-old girl with the Hulk, she is also relegated to the damsel in distress. Yeah, you, do you remember this? In Age of Ultron... For no reason, for no reason whatsoever, Black Widow is kidnapped by Ultron and has to be rescued by Bruce. There is no reason for this. Like, they give a reason that uh, Ultron wants someone to monologue to. He's a super villain. He can monologue to himself all he wants. I talk to myself all the damn time. It's not that hard to understand that a supervillain would be crazy enough to think out loud to himself. So, she shouldn't have been kidnapped in the first place. But the whole reason she was kidnapped was to be saved by her love interest. Bite me, Joss Whedon, you hack. The Mule and Quim line was one thing. The stuff with Black Widow and this? Uh Uh-uh. Eat me. Eat me, you hack. Ugh. So yeah, Age of Ultron has just... Nothing about it is stellar enough to go above a three-star, which I think it was before. But upon rewatch, there's a lot worse about it in retrospect. It is way worse than I remembered it. And it's bottom-tier Marvel movies for me. Although it's not nowhere near as bottom tier as the last one. You guessed it, if you haven't already, Iron Man 3. As a follow-up to the Avengers, they had something interesting going for it. Telling telling a combination, bring, doing a combination of bringing back one of the comic book's biggest arch nemeses for Iron Man, the Mandarin. And they tried to do it by tying into his origin story in Afghanistan. Kind of, you know, kind of misguided, but at the same time, I get what they were going for. They also want to try and adapt the Extremis storyline, which is not bad. 
It's not a bad. It's not one of my favorite Iron Man storylines, but it, I re, I read the comic after the movie, and it was okay. I get what they were going for it, going for with it. Unfortunately, Iron Man three done goofed it all up. You had Tony Stark furthering his descent into um into not madness, but like like self destruction with this because that's the thing. Tony Stark has suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder since Iron Man 1. I learned that from this rewatch. Iron Man has always suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. It's just it was just made worse by the alcohol by the alcoholism and the and the whole body decay and the whole radiation poisoning which they explained way too which they explained away way too easily. So yeah, not you know no points awarded for you there Iron Man 2. Um, like, and they also should have maintained the demon in the bottle storyline a bit longer. I think that would have been. I think keeping that for a few more movies would have been more interesting. But that's just me. Um, but yeah, after the Avengers, the incidents in the Avengers, Tony Stark ha- is at his worst in terms of his post-traumatic stress, and he'll have. Episodes of flashbacks and and breakdowns, and this movie, this movie does not do it any any, any justice by sticking in an audience insert fan character. This character had no bearing uh, from the comic. You know, there's no origins for him from the comics. The powers that be decided Iron Man needs a sidekick. Despite the fact that he's already got War Machine and Pepper Potts is able to become Rescue. So he needs a little kid sidekick. Like he's freaking Batman. It's not helped that the kid actor that they chose was told to play it obnoxious as hell. I don't want to blame the kid for this. I don't want to assume he's just that terrible of an actor. But he was... He ruins this movie for me. He... Is the albatross around this movie's neck? He is awful. His character does nothing that couldn't be done by Stony teaming up with Rhodey or teaming up with ha- or teaming up with Pepper or teaming up with I don't know Nick Fu- Nick Fury. No, Nick Fury's busy dealing with um, uh, Winter Soldier, but. There were, pl- there were plenty of other characters you could have had Tony interact with besides a 10-year-old kid to act as an audience insert surrogate character. To be precious and twee for Iron Man. There was no reason. For- he could have easily done, picked an old Stark. He could have just been by himself dealing with his own issues. Talking with Jarvis. Jarvis is a better sidekick than this kid. There was no reason for it. They just... And the whole impetus... The whole impetus for him meeting the kid... Was Jarvis saying... We had a flight pen. You wanted to go to Tennessee. Jarvis does not work that way. He's an AI. He would have said... Mr. Stark, we've escaped the, we've escaped the attack upon your ranch. And shall, we, shall we go to Tennessee? Would you like to go to Tennessee now? You know, he would have just flown Tony to Tennessee on a whim. 
I, I can't. And, and the thing is, I don't know if I like the ultimate twist with the Mandarin. I think I, I understand what they were going for. But I don't know if it's good or bad or better or which version would be better. But uh, just maybe I should have kept the Mandarin in the shadows as a, as a as a figure to be feared and then introduce him later. Because what they do with him here is, isn't exactly all that great. So there's the ranking of the Marvel movies from best to worst in my opinion. So, with the individual movies out of the way, let's take a look at the phases themselves. <clears throat> Which phases did I prefer over the other? Um, I, I guess you could break down each and one individually by phase, but I think you can kind of figure that one out if you if if you care. Basically, my favorite from Phase One is the Avengers. Phase Two is Captain America: Winter Soldier, and Phase Three is Infinity War. Although, once again, like you know, they they've all got goods and bads and whatnot. Uh, so, we'll, ranking all three of the current phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've got the best being Phase Three so far, most high quality entries in the in the series, uh, and the lowest ranking movies are all still great. Uh, they're all four like the lowest ranking in Phase Three so far is four stars for me, and I think the lowest overall is Doctor Strange, but at the same time, like. They're all all of Phase Three has been good, if not great. So, Phase Three is the best so far. Uh, number two of the fa- number two is Phase One. Uh, great starting point. There were some stumbling blocks along the way. Not all of them are great movies, but it's a great starting point, and it's built up a lot of great stuff so far. And the worst phase is Phase Two. Worst parts of the franchise so far. There are two genuinely de- bad movies that don't really deserve rewatches. Honestly, that I don't think. Um, so that's two bad movies, two genuinely bad movies, uh, two great movies uh, with Winter Soldier and um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and two good movies with Ant Man and um, what's the other one? Actually, one good movie. Well, two good movies. Ant-Man and Thor the Dark. Thor the Dark World is not as good as Ant-Man, but they're about the same in terms of quality. They're middle of the road, ultimately. So, yeah. Uh, This is probably going to be the most forgettable phase of the Marvel Universe, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but only time will tell, to be sure. So, what do I think of it so far? Uh, I like the casting. I think a lot of the casting is pretty solid for the most part. I don't think they've had too many bad stumbling blocks. I mean, there was the Ancient One thing, but that was more along the line. But that was just more an issue with trying to adapt a stereotypical Oriental character, a very mystical East guru kind of character into a modern setting. And they tried something different. Does it work? Depends on who you ask. I, I, I think ultimately the Ancient One plays so little of a part overall in Doctor Strange after a certain point that it doesn't matter. Which arguably is even worse considering you could have had an Asian character play, Asian actor play the character and given them more of a purpose. It's just, it's just all how you, how you feel. How you, and how you, and how you feel about sort of, and how you feel about representation and whatnot. Um, and, uh, 
I like the uh, I like that everything is so is mostly thought out. Like aside from maybe some hiccups here and there, like with Edgar Wright having the dropout and actors needing to actors having uh, fights with the studio and and needing to be and for and forcibly recast. Um, some maybe some bad writing f- for individual entries. The overall planning for the cinematic universe has has shown to be a viable model. It's the only one that has like aside from winging it set at, but winging it but maintaining continuity like in a James Bond or like a doc, or like a Doctor Who uh but that's more but Doctor Who more for television for the for cinema for a long standing franchise the Marvel Cinematic Universe has proven to be the model to emulate. And unfortunately, no other studio has been able to even copy that model. There is no Pepsi to Marvel Cinematic Universe. The DCEU is pretty much trash. Their best movie is just good. Because <laughs> of the thing. You can love, I mean, love Wonder Woman. You can love Wonder Woman. Objectively, Wonder Woman is just better than the middle of the road Marvel movies, like Thor, like the Thor movies. Or, um, you know, like the, I would put it. I would put it like a like a solid four star movie. There's just a couple of stuff, especially the end fight. It, it's kind of like an Iron Man in that way, where a lot of the setup is great, but the final climactic fight is not not good. It's kind of how people, but that's more that's more. I think, but I think like um, Black Panther, Wonder Woman is more culturally significant because of its representation for women and and for a lot of women of color on on Themyscira. Um But at the same, but yeah, it's. Wonder Woman is more culturally significant, and it's a, it's the best thing the DCEU has made so far. But they're really, but DC has been, you know, kind of like I don't know, throw things at the wall, see what sticks, and nothing's really worked. Whereas Marvel's like, so you know, the guys at Marvel, I think um, Avi Arad was one of the first ones. I know Kevin Feige, I think, was there from early on, and I know somebody. There was somebody else that like Marvel Comics. Who was there? Like, we need to solidify our film rights. So we'll found Marvel Studios with the film rights we have as we try to regain the old ones we lost. And in the meantime, we need to plan out a storyline that will comp- that will keep us going long term into the future. And that has worked. That has been the driving force of the MCU. The fact that it's an ongoing story where each entry ties into the next and the previous one. Everything is connected. You know? It is like a conspiracy theorist um, uh, corkboard trying to pinpoint how all the things connect. They did that before they made Iron Man. They added to it as time went on. But this was all thought out. Before Iron Man began production. That's what works. And that's what people studios fail to realize. Um, and yeah, the stories have been progressively getting better. Like, Iron Man was a great start. Avengers was a solid ender for Phase 1. Phase 2 was kind of middle of the road for the most part. Although Winter Soldier and Guardians were good. Were really good. Uh, but Phase 3 showcased how much they're, how much they're willing to experiment with... With visuals and you know uh, design production design, the fact that they're the fact that you know they have a predominantly black cast with a predominantly black production line to tell, telling an Afrocentric story, 
where it's Africa, where a country in Africa is not destitute and relies on aid from the outside world, which is also another nice thing about Black Panther and Wakanda. Yeah, people, yeah, there's a reason Wakanda is so, is becoming such a big um, staple within uh, black, within, within like black film, with black film fans and with black, and with among black people, because here you've got a Afrofuturist, non-colonial, uh, in, you know, no, with no intrusion from colonial Europe, idea of I of of future Africa, and it's based and it's based purely on you know the existing cultures of Africa and weaving them into its own new thing, and it's beautiful in that aspect. Really, really. There's so much that Hollywood could learn from the production angle of Black Panther more than anything else. Just how much thought and care put into when it does so much of it. So, yeah. What I don't like, the fact that it took until Phase 3 to have something like a Black Panther. And the fact that he had to be introduced. And I, I will say him and Spider-Man being introduced in Civil War doesn't hurt. Because then we can be like, then that, that way it helps you gauge the interest of whether or not this character will work. But... Our first female-led solo film isn't until next year with Captain Marvel, when people have been demanding a Black Widow solo movie since Phase One. It's it's very white dude centric, sadly, and I and I hope that they can help help to di- as as they as Marvel and Disney acquire reacquire more of their rights that they can start to incorporate a more diverse casting and hopefully more diverse um, writers, directors, cinematographers, um, uh, production designers, costume designers, everything on the, on the production angle of things. Everything should be, should be diverse. Allow for more creativity from all of aspects of the, all aspects of the world, especially if it deal, if you're dealing with a part a, a specific part of the world. Like I feel like Dr. Strange could have benefited from more Asian influ a more Asian people behind the camera. Uh, but like, like with black Panther, but yeah, once again, it's all, it, it, this is all sadly a work in progress. And I hope this, and I hope something like a black Panther will signify. We got more stuff. There's more stuff coming. We got better plans in store for the, for, for this franchise, but only time will tell. Cause like, I think the black widow solo movie is not coming till phase four. Which once again, why did it take it till this long to get one? Why? How did how did DC beat you to a female-led superhero movie? Marvel, come on, get your head in the game. Uh, and once again, the biggest issue is something everybody's been complaining about, especially with Infinity War. Everything should be self-contained. That's not the nature of the story. Marvel's the Marvel Cinematic Universe was designed to be serialized fiction. Of course everything is connected to one another. That's the point. You don't have to like it, but that is, you can't complain about something that was built into the, the design. I don't like the way that thing works. Well, it was designed to work that way because it's not trying to do your thing. It's trying to do this thing. Uh, but at the same time, that world building can supersede good storytelling. It's the reason people didn't like Iron Man 2 and Thor The Dark World. A lot because so much of it was, hey, Infinity Stones are coming, the Infinity Stones are here, Thanos is coming, eh, 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 and that kind of stuff, that kind of 
po- that kind of like pointing you to like, hey, look what's coming. Hey, look what's coming. Hey, look what's coming. People kind of are put off by that. And I think, thankfully, they've learned that lesson because most of the, most of, not every, not every one of, not everything required a, a, a connection to the Infinity Stones and to Thanos and things like, and like Doctor Strange didn't bring up its Infinity Stone until the very end and it never played a part in the story. Homecoming and Guardians Volume 2 didn't even need them. Neither did Civil War. It's just, you know, I think Phase 3 has shown that this is where we want to go with this. Self More self-contained stories, but with connecting threads to the other movies. And it, I think that's a good format to go with. And I'm interested to see what they do with the future phases. Um, and of course, romance, one of the worst aspects of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They need people who know how to write romance, damn it. Get some people in there who know how to write real... And I'm not talking about, like, like silly rom-coms. I'm talking about, like, genuine, heartfelt romance. People who people who can write something compelling and emotionally deep, you know? Not just Nicholas Sparks wannabes and uh, Gary Marshall knockoffs, you know? Uh, yeah, that's why I hate what they did with Jane Foster in retrospect, because... She's a phenomenal character! Why did you treat this girl like that? What'd she do, huh? What? What? Did you, what? You thought, oh, Jane Foster can't be interesting and her own character, she's the love interest. Same problem with Pepper Potts. Gamora is continually being forced into that. Black Widow was at her worst when she was forced into that. There's a reason you don't remember Rachel McAdams. Like, the most compelling female love interest, I think, has been Lupita Nyong'o. Mainly because she wasn't even that much of a love interest until, the, until like... Toward the, the very end, most of her and T'Challa's relationship was about Wakanda more than about themselves. So, yeah. Like, they need people who know how to write romance. Diversifying that, diversifying that screenwriters and the story, the story writers in your studio would not be a bad idea. Just saying. Um, but yeah, that's, so yeah, that's my view on the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it is now, how, as it stands. That's what I like. That's what I don't like. And um, here's what I'd like to see. More legacy heroes. The idea that allowing contracts to run up with Chris Evans, uh, Robert Downing Jr., uh, Chris Hemsworth. Allowing them freedom to go off and do their own things. Maybe bringing them back at one point or another. But allowing for more young up-and-comers to take the mantle the same way it is in the comics allow for a young Miles. but well, they've hinted at miles morales they hinted at miles morales and they and it's his uncle is part of the mcu played by donald glover the man who inspired miles morales nice touch there um but so miles morales is technically part of the mcu so he could easily be introduced down the line if tom tom holland got too old or he needed to go off and do more things besides Spider-Man. You bring in a Miles Morales. And and that's the kind of thing we need more of. Another thing I would like to see. Push the limit. Guardians of the Galaxy. There's no guarantee for that to succeed. It's an obscure. Pretty much unknown besides the deepest of Marvel. You know Marvel lore followers. And the biggest of Marvel zombies as they used to be called. The, only they would have known what the Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy even were. So the fact that you were able to turn an unknown team of heroes into one of the biggest 
franchise bring a series within your franchise and have it include a a man a kid who was born in the 80s uh the, the daughter the the daughter of the adopted daughter of of a cosmic dictator uh a a warrior who has no one who speaks only in liter, in the literal sense a talking raccoon and a tree that only says I am Groot. Now, pushing the boundary would have made Rocket and Groot the stars of the movie. But I'm just saying, Marvel, do not be afraid to embrace the crazy side of yourself. Things like, I don't know, Squirrel Girl. Fans of the comics love Squirrel Girl. I don't know if she's technically an X-Men. I think she's her own thing. I don't know. Is she an Inhuman? I don't know. Let me let me pull her up. Squirrel girl. Superhero. I think she's a she's technically a mutant. Adopted a costume engineer, Squirrel Girl, in the hope of becoming a crime fighting partner. Fortunately, upon meeting him, single handedly defeated Iron Man's nemesis. So is she a mutant or is she a just a superhero? Like with the power to um, have dominion over squirrels. Great Lakes Avengers. See, there would be a fun one. When are you going to get the Great Lakes Avengers in on the action? You know? Make that a Netflix series. Human mutate. I think that means she's technically a mutant. Okay. The mutate refers to humans who turned into superhumans as opposed to mutants, inhumans, and other subraces. Okay. So she became a superhero through mutation, not born that, not born with the mutation like mutants and inhumans. Um, but yeah. So yeah, they own the rights to Squirrel Girl. Why not throw Squirrel Girl in somewhere? You know? Make Squirrel Girl somebody, you know, because people love Squirrel Girl. All you have to do is take what they love about the comics, put find a find a comedic actress, and, and put her in a squirrel, put her in the costume. Bada bing, bada boom. Just do the squirrel effects from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, be absurd. Allow for the absurdity of things. Uh, Devil Dinosaur, a giant red talking dinosaur, who teams up with uh, what is it, Star Girl? Stargirl, I think. No, that's no, that's from DC. Who's the one that teams up with Devil Dinosaur? Devil Dinosaur teams up with Moon Girl. That's what it was. Not not Stargirl. So he teams up so it's a talking dinosaur teaming up with a superhero. Teaming up with a little girl. And they, apparently they are working one for uh, Disney XD. Although apparently he wasn't uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, he's been on TV, but not in the but not in the official MCU. Um, so let me find Moon Girl, Moon Boy. So let me find Moon Girl. 
Marvel Comics. Oh my god, a little black girl, smartest character in the existing Marvel Universe, teams up with a talking dinosaur? Dudes! My dudes! I want this! And then, of course, you got things like Gwenpool, who is once again a reality-altering, fourth-wall-breaking madwoman. You know? I think now... I think that's the whole thing from the Fo- I'll talk about the Fox Fox acquisition later, but yeah, absurdity like Deadpool did with already comedy, but allow for more absurdity. Go crazy. Allow for that. Not every comic book movie has to be super serial all the time or or the same genre. Allow for the more outrageous aspects of the comics to be brought to life. Why not? Um the other thing is we need full access to the Marvel uh, comics uh, characters. That means we need to get Namor back, Namor and Hulk back from Universal. We need to get Spider-Man fully back from Sony because they can't be trusted with it. And we did get uh, the rights back from Fox, which people say is just for the Marvel properties. But remember, A New Hope was technically owned by, Fo- by 20th Century Fox. So I'm guessing that probably had something to do with it too. But... Yeah, once they have at, at, once they have the mutants, once they have Fantastic Four, Spider Man, um, Na- Namor, uh, all of the Hulk characters, once they're once Marvel Studios doesn't need to n- need to finagle with with who owns what r- the rights to what character anymore, they could just make whatever they wanted, and that would be amazing. Having full access to their lineup of characters and tapping into who knows. What in their lineup? Uh, I also think diversifying the cast is a good thing. Like here, you have a young African American girl. Um, the girl from uh, A Wrinkle of Time is too old. You might want to get somebody a bit younger, like a Beast of Beast of um, Beast of the Southern Wild er, uh, age Amanda Stenberg. That's who you need to play Moon Girl. Someone like that, or maybe. Maybe the Wrinkle in Time girl could work. How old is... How old is Moon Girl? She's a fourth grader. So, yeah, I think uh, Wrinkle in Time... The girl from a Wrinkle in Time is a bit too old for Moon Girl. I think someone a bit younger would be, would work better. But, yeah, I, I'm i all down for... The, you know, bringing a... I know um, there's one coming up. Uh, Secret Warriors... Marvel Rising Secret Warriors, which features Kamala Khan, the new Miss Marvel, another fan favorite, Squirrel Girl fan favorite, America Chavez, sort of like, uh, who was like a time and space hopping uh, uh, Hispanic woman who take who take the moniker of Miss uh, Miss America, and it's always also a. uh, the first, Marvel's first uh, Latin American LGBTQ character. Did not know that about her. Ne- See, these are the things we need, we need more of in the MCU. Don't be afraid to push these kinds of things. Representation matters. Um, so yeah, more, things like that. I think so more things like that. You know, more Asian characters. More... Um, 
more 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 black and Hispanic characters, more LGBT, actually open LGBT character LGBTQ characters on the screen, centering in their own story, where it's not where the, where their sexuality is not the sole defining feature of them, but it's a part of who they are. Do more of these things, Marvel. You've got the come on. You've got you. It, it's it's obviously shown to work. Representation matters, and you've got the means to do it on a scale unprecedented by human history. That's all I'm saying. I also think there needs to be. Uh, oh, well, tying into that, I also think just because so much of the Marvel his Marvel comics are predominantly white. Allowing for racial blind casting would be would not be a terrible idea, unless that character's backstory ties directly into a specific culture and race. Ultimately, who plays that character shouldn't matter. It's like the idea of making Emil Blonsky more British than Russian. Ultimately, didn't matter. Or making the ancient one Celtic instead of Tibetan. I think. I think if if you. Having rape, diversifying your casting options, allowing for things like Chuetel Ejiofor as Baron Mordo, or um, oh, what's another good? Uh, what's another good one that that was that wasn't uh, from the comics? Uh, allowing for um, basically Genki from Marvel Ultimate um, Ultimate Spider-Man to be uh, Spider-Man sidekick in Homecoming, you know. Allowing for a more diverse cast of characters in your universe. Why not? Who you know? Why? Because that's, that's the thing. We don't. They, we got enough superheroes. We got enough white superheroes. Allow, allow for more. Allow for more things. Allow for more things. That's all I'm saying. Um, better cooperation with the TV. Marvel TV has been screwed over by Marvel Studios since the onset. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been screwed over time and again. I don't even remember why they never get along. It's like, why don't any of the Defenders appear in the MCU even as a reference? You know, why is it always a one-sided admiration? You know, like like how country singers will reference hip-hop artists, but hip-hop artists could not care less about country. How much longer can the Marvel movies ignore Marvel TV? Marvel Studios had Kevin Feige and Marvel CEO Ike Perlmutter had reportedly been butting heads for years when... Oh my god, is that what it is? Is it because Perlmutter has control over the TV? Ike Perlmutter, why did you screw us over again? Perlmutter, you jerk off. For those who don't know, Ike Perlmutter is, number one, a racist and a bigot overall. He's a, he's a, he's a douchebag of the highest order. And apparently, he's part of the reason there isn't a, he's part of the reason Marvel TV and studios don't get along. I'm not saying Kevin Feige is like completely innocent, but at the same time, why would you why would you not? How could you not, Pearl Mutter, you jackass?
Let me see. Sorry, I'm looking at uh, the Screen Rant uh, article about this. Characters tying episodes for some of the movies. Essentially, nothing the other way. No cool. entire premise centered around the scheduling. Blah, BS. You you planned out the entire MCU. Don't tell me it's a scheduling conflict. Damn it, screen rant. <sighs> Sorry, ad block is being a pain in the ass. Oh, you got an ad blocker. We need money. I, I, I know, just, I don't want to mess. I just want to read the damn article and be on my way. Here's a problem that's only going to get worse. Marvel's full film slate, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like... Uh, meant to, for that show to be connect... Oh my god! Now they're now they're it, it, it's getting so bad that they're redefining what it means to be part of the MCU. So. Which I guess begs the question. Why isn't the television? Why aren't the television and animated aspects also under Marvel Studios? Hold on. This doesn't make any sense. This is why corporations are so awful. Why are they compartmentalizing something that doesn't need to be compartmentalized? Why? Why are you doing these things? You idiots! Oh. Oh my god. Listen to this from Cinema Blend. Uh, their article: My Marvel movies and TV shows won't cross over the foreseeable future. From about April of last year, as revealed in a July 2014 article in the Hollywood Reporter, much of this was an extension of the budget philosophies of Ike Perlmutter. 
To quote one unnamed executive, it's things like, why do you need a new pencil? There's two inches left on that one. That doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing this, Ike? Why are you doing this to us? Yeah, seriously, seriously, why isn't Kevin Feige in charge of the TV aspect as well? Or like, why isn't the TV directly under Kevin Feige? Like he's in ch- Kevin Feige runs Marvel Studios. He focuses on the t- on the movie end, but there's the TV end. And this doesn't make any sense. None of this makes any sense. Whose bright idea is this? And how do we get rid of them? Sorry, just the one the thing that I want most of all is not happening because of corporate dick measuring. Corporate pissing contests are keeping me from having what I wanted since the start of the MCU. You, you assholes. I hate all of you. Can we burn it to the ground and start over? I'm, I'm fine with that. Keep the movie, keep the movies in, as a legacy. Burn everything to the ground. Start over. None of this compartmentalized corporate dick measuring. None of it. No more. Sorry, just, I get sick of seeing so much of this. Anyway, um, so yeah, better cooperation with the TV, with the TV shows. And, um, also not everything needs to be, um, over a hundred million dollar budgets, you know, small scale stories can work too. I think that's the main thing. If they can keep, if they can make some superhero movies for like 50 million dollars maybe 30 million dollars if they can do some really low some lower budget superhero movies imagine how, and they and they're still of the same quality as the rest of the mcu imagine how much bank they'll make because not only will they be making the bank they might not be making the bank as the big budget stuff like infinity war and avengers and you know all that but the profit by having lower budget stuff especially more niche stuff and having that available to them, spend that they'll be spending less ultimately and making more because of that. Look at look at a quiet place. That I don't think that cost more than twenty million dollars to make. I think it was like ten or fifteen almost. And it's been and it's been over a hundred million dollars made. We'll get into that in the box office report in a bit, but to get an update on that. But yeah. Lower budgets aren't a bad thing, and you can still still tell great stories with a low budget. Those constraints can be a good thing. You know, just saying. Diversify your uh, model. Diversify your diversify your genres. You know, have some romance movies. Have some more. Have have some more dramas. Not everything needs to be big budget action set pieces. Some things can just some things can be more comedic. Uh, the Fox. What's Fox has been doing? Logan, Deadpool, New Mutants. 
Logan is an old West, old school Western in the vein of un, un, Unforgiven. Deadpool is a raunchy R-rated comedy that made all kinds of bank because of that. And the, and the New Mutants, despite it being getting pushed back again and again, is a horror-themed superhero movie. Allow for more genres than just action-adventure. You know? Like, allow Doctor Strange to go more into the mystical and the fantasy. You know, Thor can be the fantasy. Cap can be... Cap can be like, they, they've done this to an extent... They've allowed for espionage with Captain America. They've allowed for fantasy with Thor. They've allowed for not quite horror. More more like dark fantasy with Doctor Strange. Uh, heist with um, heist movies with Ant-Man and some more comedy and some more and some more comedic movies, you know, but at the same time allowing for a, every genre to be made available to you is never a bad thing. Having those options out there for the people who want certain characters made, why not allow them to have that? That's all I'm saying. So yeah, there's a lot of things I would love to see from the MCU, but only time will tell if any of that will happen. Can we get Ike Perlmutter out and put somebody who who's not so much of a douchebag in? That would be really great. Uh, anyway, what's next from the MCU? Well, later this year, we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp, which uh, I'm not sure how it'll tie into Infinity War, but uh, it'll be a, sort of a side, like, co- it'll be probably about the same time, if not just before the events of Infinity War. You've also got Captain Marvel later this year, uh, early next year, I think. When does Captain Marvel do? When's the Captain Marvel movie? Captain Marvel is due... 2019. Uh, they, they, they must have spe- specified... They've announced all the release dates. So what is the specific release date? March 2019. So after this summer, we'll have to wait until next March for the MCU to continue. So we've got Captain Marvel in 2019 followed by um, Avengers for... Avengers 4 in 2019 as well. Looks like that one's set for about this same time next year, May 3rd. So that'll be the end of Phase 4. And then uh, I don't want to give too much away after that because I feel like that might get into spoiler territory. But I will say, um, I will say, you know, their deal, Marvel's deal with Sony is still in place. I think they had like three movies uh, for Spider Man. Uh, as part of the MCU for the most for right now, uh, James Gunn confirmed that uh, Guardians Volume Three is going to come out with Adam Warlock. Um, so Adam Warlock will be the main antagonist of Volume Three, and I'm assuming, and I know Warlock is a mainstay of the Guardians group, so I am assuming he'll end up be joining the Guardians to fight a bigger evil at some point uh, over the course of the film, knowing what I know from the comics. And then you've got uh, Avengers 5 slated for Phase 4 at some point. That's what, Phase 4 will also see the Black Widow solo film, which, like uh, Captain Marvel, will be a period piece. Only Marvel, Captain Marvel is set in the 90s. They want the Black Widow solo movie to be set in the 2000s. Uh, like, a, like a couple, like about a decade after the fall of the Berlin Wall. The fall of the uh, USSR. 
So it'll be like the early days of Black Widow, which I th- which I hope means we'll get to see uh, Scarlett Johansson putting on a, a a a more traditional Black Widow accent and her and her developing what we now know as her accent in the MCU, which probably should have been I don't know Phase Two. Once again, this should have happened in like Phase Two, guys. What's the deal? Uh, any, anyway, they've also got uh, nine unnamed movies on the release schedule going through 2022. And Faye has announced that 20 movies are planned after, uh, after Avengers 4. So after Phase 3, there are 20 movies planned already for Phase 4 and beyond. They've also stated that they want to get beyond the phases. So they think they want to try and call things something else. So maybe like, maybe go by like an arc. You know, like this is the something story arc this is the something other storyline uh which makes sense they do that in the comics all the time so why not you know instead of you know so phase one phase two phase three then it's the this thing then it's this thing ooh 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 idea rename the phases after and call them something entirely new so we redefine the phases as their own thing so Perfect example. Phase one, the Avengers Initiative. We just call phase one the Avengers Initiative. It's stated right at the end of Iron Man. Perfect thing to call it. Uh, Phase two, uh, the main character art is building Countdown to Infinity War. Countdown to Infinity. It's it's building up to the Countdown to or or Prelude, Prelude to Infinity. Something like that. Some, something to signify that they're building towards the Infinity War. And then it's... And then in... Uh, and then Phase 3 can be called... You know... the Can be called, you know, the, the Infinity... The Infinity War. Not... Maybe not call the whole thing Infinity War. Um, oh! They just did this for the comics. Infinity. Phase 3, Infinity. But man, done and done. So, countdown to infinity, prelude to infinity, infinity. Oh my god, I just did it. Oh my god, Marvel. Marvel. Marvel Studios, I'm telling you. I will work for you. I I love you guys. I will I would love to be a part of this. I want in. I'm telling you, if you like my ideas, I'm just telling you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm also really unemployed and could use the job, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Phase one, Avengers, the Avengers Initiative. Phase two, Countdown, Prelude to Infinity, something like that. Phase three, Infinity. Then you just call the next sec- sections of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whatever you the overarching storyline is. I am all in on this idea, and if you see if Feige does this, if Feige, if Kevin Feige does this. After phase three is complete, you heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so that was uh, our Marvel Cinematic Universe discussion. And uh, it was a long one because this is a big topic to cover. So but to edit this whole chunk down, it's, it, this got really long. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's move things right along and, fin- and finish out first up.
I think it goes without saying what number one this weekend will be, but we'll check in on the other uh, releases this weekend. So first up, dropping down from number five to number seven, Truth or Dare. Made $3 million this weekend. Uh, well, made, well made its budget back over its run. Current worldwide summary is 47 on a budget of $3.5 million. Once again, if Marvel, could, if Marvel could do something like this with superhero movies... They wouldn't. Not everything would have to be hundred, so many hundreds of millions of dollars spent. They could easily make big bucks just from low, lower budget, high lower budget stuff that people would want to see. Uh, number six, dropping down from number four, Super Troopers two. So this costs like I think thirteen, yeah, thirteen million to make. Uh, total gross is twenty two. So it's it's made back its budget. It's on its way probably to make back its uh, its marketing, but it's not doing the gangbusters peop- that, that, you know, it's not doing any gangbuster material. And I think people are waiting. This will probably do great on DVD, honestly, all things considered. It's probably should have where it went before. Like, oh, Amazon Prime exclusive, Super Troopers 2, you know? Do something like that. Didn't need to go to theaters. Drop Jumping up. Jumping up from number eight last week to number five, probably because the, probably because a follow up was coming out as well. Black Panther. So currently, a billion dollars worldwide on a budget of I'm guessing about a hundred million or so. Yeah, Black Panther has shown to be quite the money maker. It's 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 proven to be a real hopefully a real game changer in terms of superhero and blockbuster movies. Uh, dropping dropping down from number two to number four, Rampage uh, brought in seven million this weekend. Overall gross worldwide is three hundred thirty-five. May, easily made back its its budget plus its marketing, so that this did well. I think it did a lot better in foreign markets, probably because it's more action driven than story driven. But yeah, so these guys did well. Staying at number three. Is I feel pretty with eight million dollars this weekend. So overall gross so far is twenty nine million. So before Avengers came in and dominated the box office, I feel pretty couldn't even make back its own budget. And there's not even a slated worldwide release date yet. So I don't feel bad for it because I could not care less. I do not like I feel pretty. And dropping down from number one to number two is A Quiet Place with $10 million overall gross, $235 million on a budget of seventeen. That is incredible. That is over 100 times, no, not 100, 10 times, 10 times return on your investment. That's, you know, that's almost pushing 20 times return on your investment with this movie. So, once again... Low budgets can be a, a can be an amazing, especially if you do something great with that low budget. More blo- more studios need to remember this. And finally, the big one for the weekend: Avengers: Infinity War. Overall weekend gross is two hundred and fifty-seven million dollars domestically. Combined with the foreign gross, its worldwide domestic gross as of this weekend. It's for uh, it's op- it's opening weekend worldwide, six hundred and forty million dollars. 
And they don't list the budget, but if we go to IMDb, pull up. Oh, Carrie Coon's going to be in that, uh, that that movie about the kid with the alien gun. Neato. I saw that, uh, saw that in a notification from uh, IMDb that Carrie Coon was in the movie. Interesting looking trailer, I'll say that. Um, I don't know when I'll, it'll come up on the podcast, though. Let me see. Uh, company credits. Budget. Give me a budget. Why is it not listing your budget? See, that's technical specs. That's company credits. Okay, hold on. Most expensive film ever made. Without any tracking data or financial information, we came up with an opening weekend. Blah, 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 blah. A whole bunch of money to cover Disney's cost of making and marketing. At one point, a report made the internet rounds that both Infinity War and Avengers 4 would set Disney back a combined $1 billion. Close to $300 million. So Avengers and Avengers Infinity War cost about as much to make as Justice League and Pirates of the Caribbean 3. So with $300 million budget combined with probably let's let's du- let's double that up. Let, let's uh, make it let's let's instead of making it twice, let's make it three times to cover for the marketing. So let's, let's say $900 million overall. Its opening weekend brought in $640 million. It's slated to make a billion during it before its final run. It may even cross over into a billion next weekend, for all we know. So, Avengers Infinity War is good. It's all it's solid. No wor- no worries there. So let's take but let's take a look at the cinematic universe. Uh, opening weekends. Thanks, Box Office Mojo, for crashing on us. All right. Um, not to do that here. Opening. So, in terms of opening box office, Avengers Infinity War is the new number one financially. Uh, their, their opening weekend was 50 million more than the first Avengers. And the first Avengers was just barely, was just 5 million over Black Panther's opening weekend. So initially, both of the new, both of the both of the Marvel Cinematic movies this year could have been their biggest opening box office in their in the franchise's history. And then uh, we do gross overall gross. Currently, the big the big the um the highest grossing of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Black Panther, with Avengers right behind it. Both of them are over six hundred million dollars. Uh, domestic gross, so everything's everything seems to be co- everything seems to be kosher, you know everything seems to be solid, and uh, and uh, Avengers: Infinity War after ten years in the making is slated to do all kinds of 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 record break all kinds of records both for the franchise and for uh, the studio and probably for the entire industry, so. We'll see. I guess the gambit seems to have paid off. Good on you, Marvel. Good on and good on you, Disney, for getting in on this money train. Um, 
So yeah, that's that's it for this week's box office report. Let's let's go right into some trailer talk. Uh, next weekend, we've got three new releases according to the numbers. Oh no, uh, we added. Oh no, that doesn't count. Oh look, Netflix is releasing a new movie. It doesn't count. I need wide releases. I need theatrical releases. All right. Um, so we got three wide releases in theaters. It looks like, unless Bad Samaritan. Let me double check. One of these is from Dean Devlin. I don't know if if it's coming to theaters or if it's coming to. Okay, it's coming to theaters. Good. That's what I need to talk about. I may talk about Anon at some point, uh, the Netflix movie, but we're focusing mostly on uh, the the big releases. So I think we'll we'll do this in order of what I presume to be the the biggest draws. So first up, next weekend, the bigger I think the biggest release is probably going to be the much anticipated by apparently somebody Overboard remake starring Anna Faris and some I think the guy from How to Be a Latin Lover. What, who's this guy? Let me pull up IMDb. I don't recognize him at all. Oh, there it is. Yeah, here we go. Oh, yeah, I got the I got the order right. So Overboard starring um, Eugenio Derbez, who was from How to Be a Latin Lover. Uh, instructions not included. And that seems to be in, in a lot of Spanish language television. Apparently he's also producing the Speedy Gonzalez movie, which, you know, I mean... Say what you will, but Speedy go and he's going to voice Speedy, huh? Can't be worse than that Woody Woodpecker movie that they made for uh, Brazil. I'm assuming, I'm assuming, you know, if it's if it's a Mexican, if it's a co-production with Mexi- with Mexican uh, studios, then they'll at least have a better idea of what to, how to represent themselves with Speedy than if a bunch of white dudes set, did it. Apparently, it's also going to be in that Nutcracker movie. Wait, who is he? And he's going to be in the Angry Birds thing. Ugh. Um, he's just in Geostorm. But yeah, his biggest thing is probably uh, How to Be a Latin Lover, where he was the lead in, lead in that. And here, he plays essentially the, um, the uh, why am I forgetting her name? Um, uh, what, what's her name? Uh, it's Kurt Russell... And, uh, and, um, wow, it's, it's just gone. Her name is Goldie Hawn. So yeah, uh, Eugenio Derbez is going to be playing the Goldie Hawn role of the rich person who gets amnesia. And then Anna Ferris is going to be the Kurt Russell role of the blue collar worker who takes advantage of them. Why did this need to be remade? Do we really need another story of how of 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 abusing and taking advantage of somebody with amnesia because class struggle? It, this was a terrible. Like the first one had really bad implications because it was a man taking advantage of a woman with amnesia and calling calling her his wife. And this isn't much better when you gender swap it. But yeah, let's take a look at the trailer for 2018's Overboard. Why am I even trying to be a nurse? I'm going to be delivering pizzas and cleaning carpets for the rest of my life. No! You're very attractive for a carpet-cleaning lady. Although you maybe could do something with your hair. 
Yeah. No, that's not it. It's your face. Yeah. We need Sadakari. Yeah, great. You can get all and get me a little snack. You know I was just hired to do carpets, right? You're fired. I bet you haven't worked a single day in your entire self-absorbed life. He is the devil. I owe the cleaning company 3,000 bucks and they fired me. Rich people, they get away with everything. I don't know what day it is. I don't even know my own name. Amnesia in our little town. That's him. I have an idea that is poetic in its justice. Oh, good. Ava Longoria is the evil one who decides to take advantage of this guy. I'm poor? They don't look like me. We had to use a sperm donor. They don't even look I'm like Eva Longoria. Or, or are they actually Anna Faris's kids? I'm pretty sure I've never worked construction. No, I think they are Anna Faris's kids. Eva Longoria is just the woman who takes advantage of them. Gives Anna Faris the idea to basically take advantage of somebody against their consent, without their consent because they need you. First day! And I said, what? Ain't why does he only do your chores? He's not babysitting. Because you think he's a pervert? Of course not. What's a pervert? Nothing. Then can I have one? I'm going to try a little harder. Maybe I'll surprise myself. Hey! You learned how to ride without training wheels! Dad taught me. He has paid his debt. Aw, he's a family man. You're telling a ditch digger he's a billionaire. Pretty sure he's going to be okay with it. I like having your dad around. We want to keep him. You guys are good together. Yeah, you're just you know taking advantage of his of him of him not having any memory of anything. You're good together after you've ruined his life, after you've taken away his own life. Yeah. Get you to haul the dirt on the other side of the house. Yeah, I get it. Rich people are assholes, but no. I love doing that. Plus, this really relies on some really bad. Uh, Hispanic stereotypes. This, oh boy, this this is not this. This just ha- raises so many more problems. There was one thing when it was two white people who are who are awful, but now you throw in the idea of uh, of of making a Hispanic person be a ditch digger and, and a laborer. Wow, just, wow! This raises so many terrible implications. Oh, this is gonna be bad to talk about. I didn't. I don't. Why did they do this to me? Why did they do this to me? Anyway, on a lighter note, we get the latest from uh, from uh, Diablo Cody and uh, Ivan. Ivan Reitman? Yeah, Ivan. No, is Ivan the dad? I think Jason's the son and Ivan's the dad. Let me see. Jason's the son, Ivan's the dad. So yeah, Diablo Cody and Jason Ryman reteam after um uh, since after their last outing with Young Adult, which I kind of liked. It was really dark and twisted, but I I I had I enjoyed myself with it. This seems to be more appealing mainstream. Uh, this is starring Charlize Theron again, so it's a three three time reunion with these. If Patton Oswalt makes a makes a cameo, it'll be a four time reunion. But I've got Charlize Theron as a mom uh, in the latest from Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman, Tully.
the people who brought you June. Oh, and Juno, obviously, first of all. And Young Adult. Oh. Do you know what a night nanny is? They take care of the baby at night so mom and dad can get some sleep. I don't want a stranger in my house. It's like a Lifetime movie where the nanny tries to kill the family and the mom survives and she has to walk with a cane at the end. Get over yourself. This year. Oh. <laughs> Mom, what's wrong with your body? Let someone in. Hello. I'm Telly. I'm here to take care of you. I'm just not used to people doing things for me. So you can figure things out. I hold a baby all day, and then nighttime rolls around, and I'm supposed to just switch gears. Like, hello, I'm all sexy now. You're empty. No, you're empty on this side. <sighs> your 20s are great. But then your 30s come around the corner like a garbage truck at 5 a.m. This? Girls kill. No, we don't. We might look like we're all better, but if you look close, we're covered in concealer. This, this, this is, this is hitting home for me as a 30-year-old. You're convinced that you're this failure, but you actually made your biggest dream come true. Also, Rob Lewis is gonna get that because I want to do that too sometimes, but I'm not gonna. I'm here to help you with everything. You can't fix the parts without treating the whole. Yeah, no one's treated my whole in a really long time. But I'm. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited for that. They push it. Past uh, Avengers, which is probably a good idea, but I'm 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 hopeful this is going to be good. I like it, and uh, and I I, I I liked Young Adult. I never saw Juno, so I can't speak on that. But I'm interested to see how this turns out. I like it so far. And uh, last one this weekend is from Dean Devlin. Half of the people who brought you Independence Day, Stargate. And the God and Godzilla 1998, and the day after tomorrow in 2012. So many bad movies. Well, he's gonna break it off on it, break it out on his own with Bad Samaritan. Happy birthday, mother. Sean, is that M? I got a good deal through a lady at work. Really? You still digital cameraman? You still use these? Absolutely. I love this one. Crazy to think what you could do if you did this for your full-time job. Just a poor, struggling artist. Enjoy your Interesting dinner, idea. See you in ten minutes, brother. Welcome to Nino's. That's a beautiful car, sir. Yeah, don't touch it. <laughs> David Tennant. Oh, you beauty. Don't talk to me. Black card. Shut up, Doc, for real? Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything cool on your end, yeah? They're just getting their salads now, man. Let's check it here. Jesus Christ! Well, he's in over his head. We don't have much time. 
Let me so Maserati. I'll be right up. Dude, the guy's outside. Where the hell are you? <sighs> I'm sorry. He's got a girl chained up. What were you doing at this guy's house? I was robbing him. Sir, we're investigating a girl chained up in the office. Sorry to disappoint you. You're gonna stay on it, right? You're gonna keep searching for the girl? Stop harassing him. Oh! What's wrong? We're not safe. None of us. It's all good. I got your back. One bad left. Crazy people. One bad wrong. decision. You know why you're not in their little jail right now? Because you're in mine. He's gonna kill us. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna get you out of here. Oh, that was supposed to be in March 30th. They really pushed it back. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> the Bad Samaritan. Kind of a, kind of a, kind of a cheesy title. Uh, but, yo, hey, he's not a good Samaritan. He's a bad Samaritan. Or, or is they referring to... Uh, yeah, I think I... But, yeah, I think that's referring more to um, the main character as the Bad Samaritan, not uh, David Tennant. Who is taking his role as a villain from as Kilgrave from uh, Jessica Jones and going just full-on, like, evil Dexter? You know, it's... I am in for this. I love it. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't even know if I want it to be good. I just want it to be like, if it's anything like this trailer, I'm giving it a pass if I can have a good time with it. If it could be like a taut, you know, even if it's cheesy and full of plot holes, if it could be a taut thriller and horror movie, I'm good. I'll give Dean Devlin a pass if he makes a good movie, you know, a pass on this one if he makes a good movie. But we'll have to wait this weekend and see. So that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you'd like to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to follow, be sure to favorite that page, and you'll be able to keep up to date and listen to us on the on the site. And since uh, upgrading to Libsyn as our host for the audio, uh, since Squarespace since Squarespace stops after a hundred episodes, I should be on all your various podcasting platforms i i know that there are some issues with google google uh play uh for a while uh, i don't know what but i guess there was like a bad link or something but uh as, as far as i know that should be good let me double check log back into libsyn destinations So I should so I should be good on Google Play. Let me find the podcast. That's the shop, but how do I get the uh 
Google Play, you know, you'd think Google Play would uh, would have a better setup uh, for their bra- for their browser. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Just let me see the thing. I don't need to create a podcast. I I need to see your podcasts. Why is iTunes? You go to the podcast section of the iTunes store. There are the podcasts. Anywhere else, you just look look up the feed, add the feed. There there's the there's the podcasts. Google Play. I don't know. I don't know. Here. There it is. Popcorn Junkie Podcast. Still dead. Apparently it only goes as far back as as 11. Google Play is the bane of my existence. It really is. It's such a terrible, terrible setup for podcasting. I don't know why anybody... Uh, would ever would ever want to utilize that as an as their just just download a an app. Screw Google Play; they don't know what they're doing. Anyway, I'll deal with that on my own. Basically, you can also use over. I use Overcast. I've used Downcast. There's plenty of podcatcher apps. As long as you're getting over a hundred episodes of the podcast, you've got the right feed. Your feed is up to date. You can. Listen to all the episodes to your at your leisure, and be sure to leave five star ratings and reviews, and share it with your friends to let them know that you like this show too. Um, you can also share us on social media. The social media home of Popcorn Junkie is pop is facebook.com slash popcorn junkie, and there you'll get all the major updates as well as um, as well as well as you know as well as like. Uh, some basic interaction with stuff, but oh yeah, Facebook is mainly uh, the hub of of my social network for the podcast, and and um, I lost my train of thought because I'm still trying to deal with this freaking Google Play nonsense. But yeah, basically, you can also uh, follow us, follow the podcast on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. I've been really active there in the lead up to Infinity War, and there you'll see, um, and there you can keep in touch with me uh, most directly, and and that's where uh, that's where I'll do like the munch alongs and the twi- and the trailer talks for stuff. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm still trying to find a use for that. I'm str- I'm still getting the hang of it on of being an Instagrammer for the podcast. But uh, you can follow me at Popcorn Junkie Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on Stardust to see my reactions to stuff. I'm a, I'm on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. If you want to see my reactions to stuff on Letterboxd, you can follow me there. Uh, I'm I'm now at Corn Junkie Pod since Popcorn Junkie was sadly taken. And I couldn't fit in Popcorn Junkie Podcast, but yeah. Um, and I'm trying to get the Patreon back up and running as a means of, of of adding some form of income to this podcast, making it financially viable again. 
building an audience. But uh, uh, the Patreon is kind of down for the moment. Uh, but if you want to follow, if you want to follow the Patreon, at least you can do so at Patreon.com/slash I believe Popcorn Junkie. Let me double check. Uh, let me get the right information to you. There it is. Uh, my patron link is. Patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. And I'll I'll be sure to try and get make it something worthwhile for you guys. But right now, um uh, but right now I'm it's it's kind of like dead in the water at this point. I'll I'll do my best to make it viable again, but I give you guys some worthwhile um worthwhile uh rewards and whatnot. But for right now it's it it's it's a work in progress. Um, no, once again, no Twitch stream for the moment. I need to deal with, uh, some other stuff. Twitch will have to wait. And yeah, so no Twitch. I'll announce when the Twitch streams will be back on. But for right now, I need to focus on more important matters. And, um, if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of corrections, uh, that I, for mistakes that I made, any kind of feedback uh, you want to give on the podcast any kind of uh, if you want to share your own thoughts with the movies um, that that that, that I talked about, uh, you can send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail dot com. If you want, I'll read it out on the podcast, and if not, I can always get back to you as soon as possible. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and here's to ten years and more of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of, the, of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Gamora's the one he Why does why does my computer keep doing that? Set for May. So and I've got a call from my mom. Be right back. As well as um sorry, I can't, I have an ice I have a local ice can cream truck in my neighborhood still in 2018 it still baffles me that that's a thing